On this episode, I sit down and speak to George Bowie about his journey through music, and we really did have a brilliant chat. You can catch George playing at the 1994 Closer to All Your Dreams event on Saturday the 26th of March. George played a brilliant set for us when we did the FUBAR live stream, so it's amazing to have him as a guest DJ on the lineup for 1994. Tickets are available from Skiddle and Ticket Scotland, and you'll catch George playing an old school set from the 90s alongside Ultrasonic, Rhythm Quest, Rhythmic State, Scott Brown, Trevor Wrigley, Joe Deacon, Malcolm X, and MC Cyclone. This night is going to be incredible. So get your tickets for this event and let's get back to the show. Welcome to another episode of the XL Podcast. The tables have turned and we're chatting with DJ George Bowie. George, how are you? This is weird. It's like, <laughs> you know, like I'm so used to this. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna sit down and get some tips on how to do this. Is it right? My last week. Next time I'm being someone, I'll do that. But I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. Aye, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. With, with these sort of podcasts, I'm just getting you know loads of DJs, producers on, and just talking about their journey through music. So I think mm-hmm. everybody would love to know yours because I think it'll be a really interesting one and the way I started is basically a long one (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly but I mean everybody's like you know quite a long career because I don't think you can for for this podcast anyway I don't think you can really interview somebody who's just came onto the scene because I don't think there's stories there yet you know whereas like say yourself you've got decades of a story to tell and that's what I find so interesting with everybody that I've spoke to it's funny, Mal, because like, um, DJing is probably the only industry, or one of the only the kind of side to the entertainment industry where it generally doesn't matter how old you are. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? If anything, it's a bonus. Uh, it's, it's weird that how many DJs are like in their 50s and 60s and all that and still going out and doing it and smashing it and selling it all over the world. So, whereas if you're a pop star, you're always, it's all about image and youth and everything else. So, right. I mean, but, you um, think of it probably. Carol Cox, Pete Tong, and all that. They're in their sixties, exactly. aren't they? Bad Boy Slim, you know what I mean? Aye. Judge Jules, guys like that. You know, been about forever. We have whippersnappers so, compared yeah. to them. Exactly. <laughs> they just stopped out, man, carrying their tunes. <laughs> so, with your story, then, George, was there a sort of particular age? You know, I'm talking way back, obviously, when music excited you or caught your attention. Was there anything you can remember? Yes, the kind of electro sound of the eighties. Um, bands like Ultravox and all that I was right into when I was a kid and got into that whole synthesizer thing and just loved all that kind of sound mm-hmm. uh, and my dad owned nightclubs so that was handy um, so I, I started DJing at a very early age it was weird because back back then um, the clubs used to buy the records uh, you didn't turn up with your tunes they actually had the tunes and then as time moved on that changed so when I was maybe about 12 my dad said to me, oh, we're going to throw all these records out, just go in and help yourself. So I went into his club and just blanked everything and just took it up the road and told them for Christmas I wanted like DJ decks and all that and a mic because it was, it was more about talking in between the tunes mm-hmm. back then and, and kind of like getting the crowd going like you were your MC and whatever. That's probably why we're so confident in the mic because we came through that that era whereas now it's like a lot of people are like amazing on the decks but you give them a mic they're kind of like I don't know what to do whereas uh-huh. the older guys like you and me and Joe and Trevor and all that we, we can use a mic no bother you know what I mean yeah. and I think that's because we came through that that generation as well um, so 
that that's basically how I get into it at a very, very early age. I got a set of decks for my Christmas and off we went. What clubs? Was that clubs of the town? Aye, well, uh, what's, what's now the garage? Wow. In uh, Sucky Hill Street. My mum still owns that and she rents it out. Uh, and uh, they owned it. It's not there anymore, but there used to be a, a live venue in Glasgow called the Apollo. Yep. And there was a club above it called the Penthouse and they owned that as well. So, like, I used to to both of them when I was very very young and just like stand there that's actually how I got into DJing in the first place because like when I was like 13 my dad would take me to work and he would have to go into the office for just for a couple of hours just to check how busy a club was and make sure everything was running smoothly and sometimes you know I couldn't be left in the house on my own because it was a bit young so he said right just come with me and uh, I was too young to stand at the door too young to stand at a bar so it was a, a case of cloakroom or DJ box well it's not a question, is it? It's just yeah. like, right, stick me in the DJ box. And that's how I started, just sitting there. And the DJ would say, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to the bar. Do you want to play an next record? I'll show you how to do it and all that kind of stuff. And it went from like playing two or three records to doing like an hour and a half at the start while he stood and get tanked up. Because back then, all the DJs <laughs> used to sit there getting hammered before they went on, you know what I mean? So oh, and you're in there like quite an early age, obviously. What, what, well, 15, I was or? in there like 13, 14, Brilliant. and doing that stuff, and then going to school on a Monday and thinking I was the coolest guy in the world because I'd been DJing in the town at the weekend. <laughs> you know yeah. What, I mean? what was you up to? Desperate leave school. Well, you know, I was on the decks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that, that, that was how it all started. It was kind of like an education. I was lucky enough to have that, that opportunity, you know what I mean? Ah, that's amazing. And was music always in your house growing up as well? Was you, was yeah, you listening kind to a lot of music? I, because like, well, I, as well as like, you know, owning clubs, my dad used to like run an agency and he would manage like traditional Scottish acts and all that kind of stuff. So it was always like, like proper musicians coming down yeah. the house, you know what I mean? Like, um, he, he managed these guys, the Alexander Brothers, who were a big Scottish act and uh, wore kilts and did stuff like that. And um, he used to go all over the world with, with musicians and what have you. And they would always come down to the house and they would have parties and someone would go on the piano and start playing and I learned at quite an early age how to play piano badly and play guitar badly that's why I'm surrounded by keyboards and guitars and all that <laughs> here in my studio but um, yeah that, that, there was always music in, in my life always yeah. and you were saying like, so like, the synth bands were the kind of first ones to grab your attention yeah yeah. was that obviously when you were DJing was that the kind of stuff that you were Playing, or was it at this very start? Was you playing oh, right. basically right across the board of what right. the music was in the clubs? Yeah, you were playing right across the board. You were playing like songs you could dance to, but it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't like all oh, like um, remixes and what have you, and new tracks and tracks were done ourselves. Back then, it was like you would play what was on the charts or whatever, but, uh-huh. but songs you could dance to. And then as time progressed, you know, twelve inches became a thing after the the new order track and all that sort of stuff blue monday and that that became a thing and then mixing became a thing and all that kind of stuff and that that took it to another level but yeah when i first started out it was just a case of throwing a track on talking and then throwing yeah. the next one but and when we, joe still does now <laughs> that's it. it's, it's bizarre because like, i spoke to joe as well and 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 he was saying exactly as you it was like basically it was with the music you played and even to the point where if you could talk that kind of helped you it, you know, people oh, yeah. knew you as well because you, you could do the talking and that was a big part of it, which, like, like you've said, it's not like a dying art form, but no, a lot of people do it unless they've been sort of doing it for a while, I guess, isn't it? Aye, I think, it, yeah, it, it, it's a kind of, it's a different sort of discipline, isn't it? You have to be, like, thinking about what you're going to say and how you're going to say and how you're going to cut over the music and, and 
developing your sound so you can can actually speak o- over the tracks and all that without saying like, <laughs> 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 like that. You know what I mean? So it's it, it is it's. It's another art form as well, which is kind of overlooked. And it's, you need balls to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's quite, like anyone can go up and say, right, I've learned how to mix, I can go and do it. But to actually go up into a busy nightclub for the first time and take the mic and speak, you need balls of steel to do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, that's true. So when you were getting your first gigs, is it at the, is it the Mayfair? Is that your yeah, that's very first gig? Yeah, that's, that's what it was. Uh, was it the Mayfair? Yeah, it was the Mayfair then. Uh, and that was my very first gigs, you know? Was, it, was there any sort of DJ in particular that took you under your wing or was that a mixture of DJs that were coming through um, and you were just getting it, a shot? It, there wasn't any like big name DJs like they are now. Like people didn't really know. The DJ was a guy called Colin Bell who took me under his wing and he was great. He was a great influence and um, basically taught me everything. I think he's dead now, unfortunately. But um, yeah, he, he kind of like, he was the resident in there. It wasn't like it is now where there's a different guy every night. I think he was, he, you would have a resident in a club and that'd be it. You'd do it every night the club was open. So you do like, if it was open seven nights a week, you'd work seven nights a week. Mm-hmm. It was bizarre back then, totally different. So yeah, he, he kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to do it. And that's how I started. And then um, always used to like DJ in the house and get the decks and yeah. try and play along the tunes and stuff. And, and I mean, what, Back then as well, I, I don't know if it was the same for you, but the guy who was in his tunes and buying tunes, you, you weren't the weirdo, but you, you you know, it was a strange kind of thing to be into your music, if you know what I mean. But certainly yes. when, when I was at school, you know, you were looked, it was like the cool thing, and it is now you're a DJ. Wow, it was kind of like you're a DJ. You know, I, did you get any kind of, was there any experience of that? Was you like an outsider at school, or was that a cool Not thing really. to be the DJ? It was, it was quite. Was it, oh, that might be my coffee. Hang on, Ellen, when I get a coffee. Brilliant. Thank you so much. You're a superstar. Beautiful Come assistant. <laughs> <laughs> staff. Sent to the missus. But obviously, I'm up at like four o'clock in the morning, so I go for a wee nap, uh, and I couldn't get back up today because it was it was just like one of those days, and I was like, oh, any chance you could jump across the street and get me a coffee? And she did. God bless her. Legend. So twenty five years of marriage is still sorting me out. So um, I I to get back to the school thing that was um, it wasn't really considered it was actually quite cool I think um, right. because you were doing it in the town I think if, if I was just like doing it in my bedroom it would be like slightly weird but um, I think because I was out in the town working in a nightclub um, it was considered alright and some of the teachers that had um, children I used to get them like, like, like when I say children like 18, 19 year old kids, I could get them guest lists and all that. Right, kind of okay. Stuff. That so it's in your favour. Yeah, I'll work in my favour. I always remember the Janny wanting his, his daughter sorted out for tickets, and I was like, I need bother, I'll do that. And I always look after because the Janny's around the schools, didn't they? Uh, <laughs> they were the Keep him in the You'll live like a king. <laughs> That's the best advice I can give you in this interview, people. Kids out there, keep him in a Janny. Keep it, you sorry out. My, my mate, tell me a cracker, George. Uh, the Janny at his school, the nickname was Janny DeVito. <laughs> Brilliant. Love that. Oh, God, that's amazing. That's too cool. So you're, you're getting into the DJing. Aye. You're, 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 is it getting more and more? Uh, uh, when does it when does it become apparent that uh, are there cross lines have you got other things as you're leaving school or is it just music 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 it was always going to be music. I think to be honest that, that might not be true initially I think it was like my dad was like you're going to take over these clubs one day and run these clubs and when I left school 
um, I, I, I left school as soon as I could. I left school at like 16. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go work, work my dad's clubs. Uh, I, I continued to DJ at the weekends, but I was working in the office with him during the day and kind of learning how the the industry works. And um, I didn't like it. I just didn't like that side of it at all. I loved the, the entertainment side of it. I didn't love the administration side of it. And that the was not job for me. Yeah, and I realised at a very early age that this was not going to work for me. So I actually left my dad um, when I was about 18. I went to work in the King's Theatre for a wee bit, uh, just for like about three months, um, just behind the scenes in the electrical department. And then um, I went to work for John Burns, who's still going, who I'm still pals with and did um, gigs for him. Uh, as a DJ? No, all over town. As, as, as a DJ, right. yeah, as a DJ. Was your dad like, um, I'll never book you in a tune again, son, you've left no, me. No, my, <laughs> my dad was really supportive. <laughs> he, like he was kind of like, he kind of got it, you know what I mean? Because I think he'd been through it because his dad owned the club before him. That club's been in my family for 100 years almost, you know what wow. I mean? So yeah, from the, the Second World War, I think. So, you know, my dad used to live in that club. See, see, like, above it, uh-huh. they've got a function suite at the top. I don't, have it, I don't think it's a function suite now. I think it's, like, some kind of, like, bizarre indie room at the top. I think it's called the Attic, if you ever go in the garage. That used to be his house. He wow. used to live there. Because, obviously, clubs used to shut at, like, 10 o'clock. You know what I mean? So, back in the days when it was ballroom dancing and all that. So, so his family would actually live in, in that nightclub, which is... Really would so that's how long it's been in, in my uh-huh. family when, when he was a wee boy. So it, I think he knew he'd been through it himself, and he thought, "Well, yeah, good on you, go and do your own thing." That's great. You've got the support there because a lot of the times people would, people are up against it. They go, "I want to do music," and like, "Oh, get yourself a real job, get a hang," you know. Yes, hundred percent. I think that's why I've been really supportive with my kids when they wanted to do well. But my oldest wanted to do that. You know, what I mean, it's like I want to do sound engineering, so I went to uni to do like sound engineering and all that kind of stuff. And you know, now I want to be a DJ, so he DJs in the cat house because we've spoken before about how our kids are not into the type of music we're yep. into, <laughs> and uh, anything but. And uh, you know, my son plays rock music. He DJs in the cat house and he does a, a rock show in Paisley FM, and he works behind the scenes at, at Clyde, you know, on Super Scoreboard and the football show oh, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So I, I've kind of encouraged him to to do that as well you know what I mean because I know it helped me a lot and my parents did did that for me oh that's great so you so you're at DJ and you're doing more gigs in Glasgow what kind of years this and what kind of music are you playing is it still again sort of commercial music or are you seeing I, dance music coming in at any stage I'm seeing kind of disco music coming in I'm seeing more a lot more 12 inches I think when when Blue Monday came out at New Order track on 12 inch I think that changed everything I think that kind of made everyone bring out 12 inch remixes of their songs that that I'm old enough to remember before and after that tune came out and that was really the tipping point where people thought oh these decks actually speed up and slow down and the beat on that if you move it it will mix in with the beat on that and and there was more of that coming in and that that started to happen probably about 85, 86 something like that you know what I mean and I started noticing that and then by the time I went to work with John, that was 87, and mixing was a thing, you know what I mean? And if you were in a club, you were expected to do it. Yeah. Was it a thing where, we, at that time, a year, you're not mixing the full night? Is it just like maybe certain sections you're getting the yeah, tracks? Yeah, or? back then you, you were just certain certain moments, I. And are you DJing that's what it was, all but, night then, George? At these yes, functions oh, of gigs? Oh, God, uh, I, open to close kind of thing? 
Yep, and you're binging in. You know, it's not now you, you and me will turn up a couple of memory sticks and headphones. You would go in with like four big boxes uh, of records. And you need to do at least four. You need to do a couple of trips to the car just to get your tunes in. You know what I mean? It was yeah. all vinyl and they were heavy big boxes, big metal boxes and all that, you know. <laughs> Breaking folks so as you've been through the dance floor. Oh, exactly. I remember that. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Don't be all right. Here's your drink. Guys <laughs> hunting <laughs> up the road. <laughs> just spoil some guy's dance moves whack oh. right into the shin practicing this one all month <laughs> and so I, I was a different year I forgot about that bumping out of people your records that was never good but nobody ever moved <laughs> I know they were too busy having a great time then you spoiled it with a whack right in the shin sorry mate That's sorry exactly what it was yeah it was a different you know but it, it was good it was fun and it was it's what I always wanted to do and I was lucky enough to, to get the opportunity to do it because I know there's a lot of people out there that could probably have done a much better job than me that never got that opportunity <laughs> a lot of this is down to luck you, you'll know that as well, well yourself I, you know what I, I mean it is but you know what as well well again I don't know if this is a Scottish mentality you know like when you when you say things like it's down to luck my wife always corrects us right because yes there is an element of luck but it's your passion and your hard work and your drive yep. that helps you pursue it sort of thing you know and sometimes you kind of palm that off like okay it's, 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 a, it's luck or what I don't know if it's the Scottish mentality where we always sort of play it down but I think you know like every I don't know every overnight success has got 10-20 years of hard graft behind them you know aye aye well I suppose there is that as well and um, we've been doing it for a while and we're still doing it so mm-hmm. we must be doing something right as well can it, can it all be luck but aye. you, you well, do need a, an element of luck yes. to start I think to get that opportunity get the break well, along along with DJing and your passion for music and buying music, is this going alongside it? Like, because obviously, other myself included, other DJs that I spoke to, there's other things like breakdancing, BMX, and you know, there's 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 these others kind of groups that you're involved yeah. in. Was you involved in anything like that, or have you any interest in things like that? No, really, no. I was never into the the BMX, and uh, it was never really my thing. Um, I was never into breakdancing. I just I still can't dance to save myself. I always felt that, that DJs couldn't dance and that's why we became DJs. You know what I mean? <laughs> Get off few the dance floor. <laughs> very few DJs I know of like, wow, he can bust a move, man. Watch yeah. him go. You know what I mean? Because we were busy playing the records when everyone was dancing. So there wasn't really, it was just kind of like music, um, either playing it or, you know, on the decks or on a keyboard or on a guitar was kind of like my passion. Yeah, uh, so that, that was, was like your full focus kind of thing because yeah. I, I just felt like I, I don't know it was just that kind of being a part of something you know like for me like when you mentioned about the you know the pitch on decks I, know, I, 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 I knew what they were I never touched them until I had a couple of mates that kind of was more into hip hop and the scratching then I seen them use that and I was like fuck so they actually do something like I had decks for ages and I never even knew what they'd done they done until were. I well, seen was that? Seen them do it, yeah. The first decks I had d- didn't have that. You know what I mean? They were just like, push a button, the record goes round, and that was it. You know, you put the fader up and down, but there was yeah. no. No, um, so, one so there's no, there's no outside. You know, like because I mean, what, why, what I was touching that was like breakdancing, BMX, skateboard. They always seemed to be a music or a you know music was part of that culture, and I was just yeah. kind of thinking if that interested you any. But you're just focused solely on it. DJing and playing in clubs kind of thing solely in the music wasn't into anything else wasn't really into sport I never got into sport until later life and all that kind of stuff and 
that all I was really interested in was playing music. It was uh-huh. really weird when I look back at it now. It's a, that's all I ever did. I didn't do anything else. You know what I mean? It's that, really that was a hundred percent your thing. I really strange when I think about it because that's that's basically all I did. And what about buying your tunes? Were you was it? Was there record shops that you would go to? I mean, was was there any sort of in particular ones? Twenty third precinct was the oldest one, you know. I mean, like, I mean, latterly from about eighty six, I would go to to twenty third precinct, buy all my tunes there. Uh, as, as I got into more kind of dancey stuff, that that was the place to go to. And then I get into the the early nineties. I was living in um, Kelvin Grove, and I would jump between twenty third precinct and West End Records, which was the the West End, funnily enough, and I, I jump in there and get my tunes. <laughs> well situated. <laughs> you got a record shop with that name. It's a good place to put it. So I, uh, I would jump into the two of them and and get on get all my tunes in there. But you'll remember this as well. I mean, that, that was a big thing. You would, you would allocate a day like a Thursday or a Friday or whatever. Not like a Friday because that's when new tunes come in and you would go in and they would play everything to you and you'd go, I yeah. know, you know what I mean? Go, here's a new ultrasonic song. It's all, let's hear that. Oh, yeah, stick that in there, you know, whatever. Um, so the, that, that was a big thing about it. Aye, the trip to the, the record store, I kind of look at the record stores back then as our internet because that was the kind of yep. hub where you found new music. Maybe you, you get to talk to other people who were like, oh, check no, this DJs, out. Yeah. Aye, aye. People um, would recommend tunes. Oh, have you got this one? Get this one. You know what I mean? Did you, did you, what, what so what kind of year did you start seeing dance music becoming more prominent in the clubs? You know, you've, you've, you've touched on like Blue Monday and stuff like that, but. Yeah. 87 was I think when when dance music came into clubs not in all the clubs but you saw it. and by by 90 every club was playing yeah. dance music I was every right. club um, but did you see a think, shift in it you know from being a oh yeah being a DJ oh. I mean you're, you're seeing guys and girls they dancing in their handbags to becoming people dancing looking at the DJ you know did you, you're seeing that shift happen real time and the there was a center. change in 1990 1990 Glasgow was a year of culture yeah city of culture for Europe and they gave special license to all the clubs and they were allowed to open till five in the morning. So before that, I think clubs were only open till two and they gave a, a special license. And back then, I mean, people forget, back then pubs used to shut at 11 o'clock. So that was it. There was none of this staying in the pub till two in the morning. You know what yeah. I mean? There was no lock-ins or anything. A pub was shut at 11 o'clock and you either went to a club or you went home. And rightly or wrongly, they changed that and everyone used to come out of the pub and go to a club and you go to the club at like 10 past 11 and it'd be queued around the corner you know uh, in 1990 that's when it all changed they opened the, the clubs till five in the morning and that's when it went from they, they started bringing in guest djs and it was all about the mixing and all that kind of stuff yeah. it was all about dance music you would still get clubs I mean, you still get clubs today that play kind of non-dance tunes you know charty tunes and all. even the garage itself I'm sure I mean I haven't been for a long time because I'm not that demographic but I'm pretty sure they have nights where they, they just play like chart songs or indie songs yep. and stuff like that like cheesy stuff or whatever I mean so you're seeing the dance movement coming in and then is your sets becoming more and more dance orientated or are you still yes. playing a sort of so you're just solo looking down the dance route and what, um, what, what sort of styles is capturing you to what kind of tracks and all that? Kind of like 1990, it was all kind of KLF and the Shaman and all yeah. that kind of stuff. That was kind of going off. And then uh, as we got 
further into the 90s that the Scottish scene developed with the likes of yourself and you know TTF and people like that yeah all the whole club scene thing and and the, the stepping out label and all that kind of stuff you know what I mean that I noticed like maybe when we got to about 92 a Scottish scene started developing yeah that, that was a big change as well it was a big big change but yeah that that the early 90s so from 1990 onwards that's when it changed oh it's almost like somebody flicked the switch uh, at that new decade at 1990 said right now it's going to be about the dance show. it used to be the biggest song would get you on the dance floor you know what I mean if it was like number one in the charts at the time or whatever, that would get you on the floor and then it became the best dance song would get you on the floor you know what I mean and are you playing you know as well at that time there was a load, load of, you know, like people who didn't really think they were into dance music. And then let's say, for instance, I'm just pump up the jam, hits the charts, and all of a sudden, yeah. like, I love this kind of stuff, you know? I need it, more like that. Yeah, Black Box is another one, that I, kind I, of I, uh, uh, right on time. I think they were the two kind of like, that they were like 89, weren't they? So that yeah. was just going into the 90s. And that's, I was DJing in a place called the Cotton Club in Glasgow at the time. And it, it was on, the, you know, Scott Street, the hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you, you come off Sucky Hill Street and it's up that's a big steep hill there was a wee club there called the Cotton Club that's where I met my wife actually and um, I was DJing in there on a, a Wednesday night and it was a jeans and t-shirts night and it was mobbed it was packed and like there would always be football in Glasgow on a, a Wednesday night and all the footballers would go up there this was like it was a kind of haunt for the footballers so all the girls would go up looking for the footballers and then the guys would go up looking for the girls and then it got to the stage where even if there wasn't a game on it would still be rammed and it was mobbed and I DJ'd in there and I noticed then 1990 it was all about dance music there was no more um, big chart tunes or whatever's number one or, or you know a classic number one from a couple of years ago it was like well, what's got the best kind of groove to it Yeah, and it, it was almost a coolness thing you know what I mean and you're still playing all night, George, or are you doing guest sports? I'm still playing all night. Right, right. right. Still, still playing all night at this point. Um, up until I started doing guest sports. I started doing guest sports in 94, actually. 1994. So I started <laughs> doing guest sports when um, when GBX started. Well, that's that's another thing I was going to kind of get to as well, obviously. But when is when is the radio career starting? And, and well, the radio career come started about? by now. The radio right, okay. career Radio career story is a great one because I'm working in my dad's club, right, which is the Mayfair, and I'm working during the day and at night. So Radio Clyde are doing this up-and-coming band they've got um, for Cash for Kids, this band Wet, Wet, Wet that they're going to put on that they say are going to be Never big. heard of them. Never heard of them. <laughs> but bizarrely, I'll never forget this because they were on first and then the support act went on after them. It was really weird. Uh, I, I, I don't know why they did it in that way but I, I'll never forget that because I've never seen that at a gig before it's like the band band goes on first and then the support act went on. really really weird so this guy's there for Radio Clyde and I'm talking to them going hi I'm George nice to meet you it's Ross's son and all that kind of stuff oh right oh you're Ross's son because they, they all knew my dad for helping out with cash of kids and stuff so got talking to the guys there and whenever they came in to Clyde to do an event they'd always come over and say hello and I'd always look after them because working there make sure they had drinks or whatever and um, as time went on, I decided I wanted to do radio because I think everyone did at that point. It's really weird, but back then it was like, everyone wanted to be in the radio. Now everyone wants to be in the club, but back then every DJ wanted to be in the radio. And um, my dad was managing a comedian at the time. Uh, and he said, 
I think Andy Cameron was doing a show on Radio Scotland that was doing really well. So Clyde were looking for something similar. My dad had this comedian, Ben Gunn, who was managing. And he said, Can, I just passed my driving test. And he said, could you drive down to Radio Clyde? This is an 88 and drop off this demo tape. So jumped in the car, dropped it off, went in and went into the production office. And the guy said, do, do you want a tour while you're here? Because he knew me from the club and he'd always looked after him in the club. So, ah, come on in, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, I love radio. Uh, I said, I always want to work in radio one day. I said, that's kind of like the dream. He said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd like to be a presenter. I said, but I'd do anything right now. I just love, I, I, in fact, if you're ever looking for someone, you know, to answer the phones or drive the DJs about or, you know, lift records or whatever, yeah, yeah. give me a shout. I'm more than happy to do it. And he said to me, and this was on a, a Thursday night, he said, I'm really stuck for Saturday. We had to get rid of someone and we haven't got anyone to do the shift. He said, I've got to do it myself at the moment. And he said, I don't really want to work the weekends. He said, do you want to come in and I'll, I'll show you what to do? So he went in the Saturday night and the shift was from five o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday till six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> mammoth, Mark. It was Oh man, it was like I mean, looking back, I've, I, 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 this is your first think gig. about it. <laughs> this is my first gig, so I'm like five. So you go in at five o'clock, no, about half four, so you're ready for five. And I had to answer the phones in the open line, which is bizarre because now my son does that. And then I would have to run some tape programs. So it would have like an American chart show that would go out, and then there would be a live concert that went out. And then I would have to go out to a nightclub and um, various clubs around Glasgow and set up a live broadcast unit so that they would have some kind of satellite link up and I would just need to plug everything in and then I would have to get the DJ take the DJ to the club they would do a live broadcast every Saturday night from a club somewhere in Glasgow and then I would go back to Radio Clyde and I would have to rerun the football commentary from earlier that day and then an hour of classical music because what, what people don't realise now is back in that era this was 88 you were only allowed to play, I think it was something like six or seven hours of music on the radio. I never knew that. If, yeah. It, it, see, like, now it's, you can play as much as you want, all you want. Back then, this is how uh, John Wilson started out doing what he did, because if it was, like, unknown dance tracks, like white labels and stuff, you could do it. But chart, um, chart songs and songs that were, were PRS and PPL, you're only allowed six hours or seven hours a day. So they had to pad it out with them. Um, Is that know, because of the money involved for pain? Yeah. For license to play? Right, okay. BBC, right. BBC were exempt. So Radio 1 were able to play all the big tunes and Radio Clyde, Radio 4, they all had to play like only six or seven hours. So they would do like long, that's why DJs used to talk for like 20 minutes in between records and stuff because they were only allowed so much. And Clyde had a rule that, you know, there was no point in doing it like after 10 o'clock at night or whatever. So between 10 and 6, you weren't allowed to play any kind of like chart music. So they just used to pad up with stuff. So they would do the things for the clubs. And again, this is when, when the 12 inches were coming through and the remixes and all that kind of stuff. So they would get away with all of those. And then you would run the football commentary again. And then I had to run an hour of... Um, Classical music. Wow. And one week, I, I didn't know anything about classical music. I only found out like a couple of weeks later, and I think if this had ever come out at the time, I would have got sacked. Um, but unbeknown to me, the person before, when, when you, you ran a show, you had to rewind the tape because it was real to real. Unbeknown to me, I played an entire hour of classical music backwards. <laughs> and, and nobody knew. And still to this day, nobody knew. <laughs> 
Like, it, just, it sounded a bit weird to me. But <laughs> probably like, guy just that. standing who's going, out, wow, what is this? <laughs> oh, no, all night. Because this is like four o'clock in the morning, right? So the audience is minuscule. And it's like, you didn't have the internet, as you say, back then. And you didn't have, like, you couldn't, like, now that shows are interactive. But back then, you could only phone the reception. And there was nobody on the phones at reception at five o'clock in the morning. So if anyone did bother to phone it, it didn't answer, you know what I mean? It was one of those. I don't even think they had answer phones. So it was like, and it was only weeks later, uh, it was actually Tom Wilson's brother, Scott, said to me, um, were you running that classical music? He, he said, the, the way that the tapes, the way you reel the tapes in, it was like candy colored to start and red to end it. And this was round the wrong way. This one was red at the start, which meant I'd played it the wrong way around. And I was like, please don't tell anyone. He's like, see me, sir. Wow. That's a peach. So so that was that. Um, but yeah, that that's basically what my shift was at, at Clyde back in the day. That, that's a baptism of fire, that first gig, to do all oh, that. Wow. Yes, it really was. And it was a, it was a great learning experience. So, I bet you. you. Know, I mean, I, I did that for two years. I worked behind the scenes for two for two years before I get anywhere near a microphone. And, and that's you just doing that yourself, Jules. There's no a team. There's no really anybody no, really helping you. That no, was your was job just, to do all that. There was that. a guy. The guy was there the first week. And then after that, it was basically, it was basically a, a baptism of fire. It's like the guy was there the first week, showed me what to do. There was a couple of things I struggled with, but I'm kind of driven. So I phoned him up during the week and I said, look, there's a couple of things I wasn't too comfortable with. Can I come down one day during the week when it's quiet and just go over it again and sit and practice it? And and I did that. And I think they quite kind of liked that, that I yeah. made the effort. And like, I didn't just want, oh, I'll be fine. I uh, went in and got them to just go over things I wasn't sure about. And that that's how it, all kind of started in there for me and I did that for two years working behind the scenes are you, are you thinking you know as so as your passion also music but also are you enjoying the technology side of things you know getting in about yeah. creating shows and That's what's so going that, on behind yeah. it yes 100% work how it all works out and you know equalisation and all that kind of thing and how all the, the sound waves work and all that radio and how the desk works and everything and it, it, I, I found that Fascinating. I love that. Are you, are you viewing it all as just this is what you do to do music, or are, are you are, are you separating them like there's your production side and then there's your, your DJ side? Are you just seeing it all as this is what I love doing? No, I'm just seeing it as I want to be the guy in the radio, and this right. is the path I'm going to take to be the guy in the radio, and I'll come in at any time and do anything okay. you want because right. I know it's going to open doors for me. And you know, I, I've been handing in demo tapes and all that to, to the guys at Radio Clyde because that was the only radio station back there it's not like now where you've got lots of different stations yep. that was the only one that was there there was nothing else it was like the English stations at BBC and all that kind of stuff but in, in Scotland there was like Radio Clyde each city had their own you know fourth and Edinburgh and North Sound and Aberdeen and all that and West Sound and Air but each kind of area had their own station and, and ours was Clyde so that was the only one you could get on yep. and I was kind of like right I want to be on here one day so uh, I worked behind the scenes and I got pally with them um, Tiger Tim who was like a, a DJ that used to do stuff in my dad's clubs as well so I knew him and I got producing him for a bit uh, and so when I say producing I mean like answering his phones and making his tea and all that kind of stuff that was kind of the limit to my ability um, and he kind of took me under his wing and I, he said do you want to do this one day in fact he came up to the Cotton Club when I was DJing and he was like oh I'd never heard you speaking over the mic before because 
obviously we're, we're talking about earlier how he spoke of the mic. He said, you never think about doing demos. He said, I do demos all the time. So nobody ever listens to them or gives me any feedback. Yeah. He says, right, do it for me. Do a demo for me and I'll hand it in. So that's basically how I get into I started down because I was working in Clyde's production office, I had access to the studio. So I could finish a gig at night if I was DJing in a bar or something, or even a club at like two or three in the morning, I could drive to Clyde Bank and the studio would be lying empty and I could go in there and make a demo and give it to him. And that that was an opportunity that working in production opened up for me. Yeah. So I, I would give him the demo and he would listen to it and he'd go, like that, don't like that. So he's giving you a lot of pointers on the presentation and structure yes. or whatever. Hundred percent. And he was a guy I looked up to. He was the kind of presenter I wanted to be like because he wasn't like everyone else. He was yeah. kind of like normal. He wasn't like oh, but DJ. He was just like Glasgow punter. You know. What yeah. I mean, I kind of liked that because it it just like it was probably only going to work here in Glasgow. But I had no intentions of like going on to greater things and going to work in London and stuff. I just wanted to be on the radio up here and do my thing up here. Aye. He, he was a legend back then, wasn't he, as well? You know, what like, is that? He, 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 aye. It was a big thing. I mean, he's still keeping touch on him. I was talking to him the other day, actually. He's still, he's very ill. He's got MS, you know what yep. I mean? He's in a wheelchair and all that now. He's, he's really ill. But yeah, he's, he's still out there. And he, he, he did so much for me. He opened a lot of doors for me. That's him. I never knew that. I, bizarrely, I, I went into his studio today with the ultrasonic thing and he got us in and uh, he got me a peach because he... So he's doing his live radio show and it was Bill Granger that took his Roger and I in and he says, well, what are you fucking pricks wanting? And we just <laughs> kind of went, like but he turned the thing down and I thought he'd see this in here and we were just like, ah! And then he went, ah! Then he just went on with the show. But it just cut, broke the ice, all the nervousness away and then obviously we'll sit yeah. talk to him laughing away. You know, just with that one, one liner sort of thing, you know? I remember doing a gig with, with him and uh, another guy, Gary Marshall, years ago, like when I first started out. And, uh, it was about 1991, something like that. And it was in the the Sucky Hall Centre. I don't even know if the Sucky Hall Centre was there because I think Radio Clyde was barred from it for life after this. <laughs> so, like, I'm on first, we warm up guy, and it's like you know, giving away Radio Clyde t shirts and all that kind of stuff. And then Gary Marshall came on and he goes, Right, I've got one t shirt left. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do, I've got a chocolate cake here. And whoever puts this in Tiger Tim's face when he comes on can have a t-shirt. So this week boy's like, I'll do it, mister. And they thought he'd just take the chocolate cake and the t-shirt go away and it was a laugh, right? No, Tiger Tim goes on, he goes, Oh everybody, I'm a this week guy comes out. <laughs> Tiger Tim in the microphone shouts, I'll hug you, you wee bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm standing there going, what's happening? What's going on? It's all going to kick off. <laughs> class, I was just like, radio's crazy, man. It's mental. But I, it, it was fun. But that's how I actually ended up getting on air. Because... Again, in 1990, I don't think this has anything to do with the Euro culture. I think it was just radio licenses. That thing I was talking about, the, the needle time restrictions, that all got dropped, it all got lifted. And Clyde decided that they were going to do two radio stations. So they just had Radio Clyde. And then they decided, right, we're going to do a Clyde 1 and a Clyde 2. And Tiger Tim's like, this is your big opportunity. Let's let's get your demo in. So I was working like constantly around the clock and I got a demo and... He handed it in to um, this guy, Doogie Donnelly, who was in charge at the time. I know that he name listened. as well. Aye, he did, he did a bit of sport. Sports, he did, aye, kind of like, aye. aye. He, he, did, he did telly. He wasn't at Clyde that long. Uh, I think he was a boss for about three months. And Tim gave him this demo and he said, nah, it's not for me. Don't like this guy at all. Uh, it's too out there. Because it, it was, it was a, again, it was a, it wasn't, 
it was different from what everyone else was doing, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I'd, I'd had experience DJing a club where I was, was that girl radio DJ like that? And I think that's what they were looking for. And it just didn't work out. And it didn't work out for him either. And he got bumped three months later. And this new guy took over, uh, Mike Holloway. And he he um, really liked what I was doing. He was younger and he was kind of like, oh, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. Excel podcast. At the time I was doing the warm up and the road shows and all that kind of stuff. And he put me on in the middle of the night for six months and that was great. So I got all my experience from, I think it was one till six in the morning I used to do. On a, wow. um, a Sunday and a Monday night, that was a long shift, man. That was that was not a fun shift to do. I mean, I was always desperate to get on the radio, but see, after about two weeks, I thought, oh, this is murder. Um, but you do it. And then he left and uh, his show became available and bizarrely, they gave it to me, God knows why. So they, they put me on the afternoons from 12 till two which was great. And they gave me a chart show on a Sunday morning. Uh, I was about 91. And So quite quickly, you've, you've went was, to just so, getting your yeah, show to then... Six months. Is that almost prime time, George? Six months. It, yeah, it kind of was prime time back then. Because when I look back on it, I thought, oh my God, what an easy shift that was. 12 to 2. You know what I mean? You, you get up at 10, still in the work, you build up a road for your lunch. You're still doing all your DJing through the week and all that as well. Yeah, and of course you're getting... Now it's gone from doing the whole night to, hey, we'll book you to do an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a bit of that going on. I mean, still doing the whole night occasionally, but yeah, you, you're getting the hour long gigs now or two hour gigs or whatever and it's much better and it's just yeah it's, it's suddenly taken off and it's the, the radio really did that for me it was great it transformed everything so you're DJing you've got your residencies was there a minute or a year or a time when you kind of thought I, no I've made it or like I'm doing no. what I want to what I do here was, 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 was there a penny drop when you went I'm a fucking DJ here Aye, there was a wee bit. I think, like, when when you go out and people recognise you, I think that's when the penny... Because you just think you're just stoning through it. And it, it's not like now when they come up and ask for selfies, because you didn't have that many. You had George Bay off the radio, aye. Aye, no flesh. <laughs> oh, my God. Why are you singing my flag he, packet? <laughs> I didn't hear your pitch. I just heard, my guy knew who I was. <laughs> you know, and it, it was just like really weird that that was the, the turning point for me it was like yeah a bit what kind of years that George when are that, you that's, thinking that's 91 that's right, right. at the start oh, that's the early January, goals aye January 91 aye and uh, I said wow this is great and you, you're going up to clubs and they're letting you in for free and all that kind of stuff I'm like wow this is brilliant you know what I mean and, yeah uh, are, you, are you pretty focused when you're doing this or are, are you like partying with your mates or is it becoming your work quite quickly or are I'm you going to be an entourage and just having a night out with the boys but you're doing the DJing I'm still DJing I'm still DJing in pubs and stuff I'm doing places like I was at this pub uh, Chubby Chester's in the town again I'm still doing the whole night I'm doing the Cotton Club and I'm doing the whole night and um uh, that's where I, I met my wife. It was like 1990. I, before I was actually on the radio, I met my wife up there. I was chasing after her for ages. And then <laughs> eventually she just gave it, oh, hell, get it. <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind of how that all happened. And like, um, I'm still got my pals and I'm still going out with my pals, but I'm DJing as well. So I've got a kind of work party balance. Oh, that's good. On. But now I think I'm the opposite. I think I'm just like constant work now. I never really go out my pubs because I'm just always working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's because I'm not really a drinker anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
Well, that, I mean, that's one thing that really surprised me and, and I've always, you know, admired you for is, I remember speaking to you once and you were like telling us about all the charity work you did and top of all the gigs and in the radio shows and I was like, fucking hell, you're still grafting right now. You know, like, I, you know, like, it takes a lot of time and energy to, to do that, you know, I, I couldn't even believe, you know, I think, you told me you'd, you'd, you'd you done so many charity gigs a week, and I was like, "Fuck!" I tried to do one a week, yeah. Aye, and I was like, you know, I struggle to do one every three months. But <laughs> no, hats off to for still doing the graft because it is. It takes a lot out of you, you know. Like gigging, obviously. Then you've you're up for your radio shows and all that. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm not very good at saying no to people. If a charity comes to me and says, oh, "I'm trying to raise money for so and so who needs a, a an operation or whatever," I thought, oh, "Can I not just go and play tunes for half an hour, an hour, or whatever?" It's, it's not a big thing for me. I'm, I'm not doing anything else anyway. The radio show will finish. I'm probably in a club about one in the morning. I'm sure I can slot something in on the way there. I don't know how long I can play for, but if I turn up and play for a wee bit. Yeah, that's why it's always kind of say, I'll oh, do half an hour. We always end up doing more and stuff, don't you? So like, even yeah. on Saturday night, there, I was doing SWG3 on Saturday night, and it's like, um, the woman across the road was trying to raise money for a school trip for the Waynes, and she was like, Any chance you could come down to a hotel and do a wee set? And I'm like, I know, bother. So just I just went up my gear, not plugging in the band, but that's all part of the fun, isn't it? You know what yeah. I mean? You, you got to do that and keep, keep everyone happy. Are you putting something it's back fun. in, isn't it? Aye, if it's, it's, I'm enjoying it as well. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a laugh for me. It's a good carry on. So, Aye. what year? What year was you saying? Ninety one was when you felt like fuck. I'm a, I'm a DJ now. Aye, you're starting to DJ. Is it all over Glasgow, or are you branching out with the rave scene um, sort of thing? Bonkers has just opened, and I've done. I did the opening night in Bonkers. That was uh, a mental I, club, wasn't it? That was a mental club, but it wasn't. It, it's funny, it didn't start like that. When it first started, it was almost like a step back for me. It was like, right, I know you're playing all this dance stuff, but we don't want any of that in here. Ah, okay. And they had like they had a ban on dance music and all that kind of stuff at I the very beginning. I know it's became this kind of legendary dance club, but at the, at the start, it was like, no, that's right. not what we're going to be. And it, it's like, okay. Uh, and I actually got sacked quite early on <laughs> just for, for being too cheeky over the microphone. And that was like the week before. I was doing the through the night shows at the time, but that was the week before I started doing the daytime shows. And then, of course, when I got the daytime shows, they wanted me back in. Uh, but, but but then I was like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. But um, I, I eventually, of course, I, I calmed down and, and did go back and had many great years in there DJing as well. Um, but I, that, 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 that was really strange because that's when when things definitely changed. You know what I mean? You would go back and you. I'd gone from. Like I was still doing the whole night, but occasionally you would get gigs like that where they book you to do an hour and stuff. And I was, oh, this is great! Oh, I have to go uh-huh. to the for an hour. Whereas there are there were bars and clubs where I was still doing the whole night right up until about ninety four. Wow, and you were saying ninety four was when you started the GBX. What was the yes. thinking behind that, and why did you want to start? particularly the GBX thing? Well, I was always into dance music and I, I was loving what you guys were doing, what Ultrasonic were doing, what Scott was doing with Q-Tex, the, the whole club scene thing, stepping out, what have you. I was watching what Tom was doing at Radio 4th because Clyde and 4th, I mean, we're the same company now. I, I do a show in 4th. Um, uh, but back then we were kind of rivals. You know what I mean? It was like rival cities. Uh-huh. Uh, now it's... Uh, you know, we're, we're all in the one big family. Yep. But um, Tom was smashing it on a Saturday night and Clyde were not reacting in any way. And I was thinking, why are we not doing something like that? And uh, Bobby Hain, who was the, the boss at the time, I think he's the boss at STV now, he said, well, 
what do you think we should do? I said, we'll get a DJ in to do it. I said, ah, but DJs are not very good at talking on the radio and all that kind of stuff. I said, I'll do it. I said, I'd love to do it. He said, I never thought of that. He said, right, well, we'll do a demo and we'll see what happens. So, of course, did a demo and he went, ah, okay, let's, let's just go with that. So we ended up doing a couple hours. Uh, I think it was like, was it six till half eight or something like that on a, a, a Saturday night? And that was in 94. And I was on playing your stuff and... Uh, all, all the kind of Scottish thing and the, the club scene uh, Clubhouse Like My Fire was a big tune at the time in Glasgow that wasn't getting any airplay and the, the songs like that were, were just like suddenly on the radio and it was uh, and people loved it because folk this was pre-internet obviously yep. but older, older listeners or viewers will know that um, you know when, when Tom was on they, they used to go to Heart Hill and because you couldn't pick it up in Glasgow, so people would drive to Heart Hill and sit and listen to this guy's radio show. Aye, aye. That's, that was the appeal of it, and that was because it was only way you had to it. hunt it down to get dance music, aye. didn't you? Yeah, you, you really did. You know, it's like that film that what was that movie that it was it Beats that had your track in it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and I and rhythm, and um, that, that, that was basically what was happening back then. It was all kind of. It wasn't even pirate radio because it wasn't much pirate radio about it. That was a big thing in London, but that wasn't really happening. So yeah. It was a couple of wee things, but it was like Tom was the only guy doing it. Podcast. Like we were saying, like people are traveling, there isn't any internet, you know, it's tapes circulating and all that. There you go. Did you do your mixtapes at your gigs and all that? Because that was, again, that was your kind thing. of download, wasn't it? Selling tapes or whatever. Or was that I never did it. I never did it and the reason I didn't do it was because I was on the radio and I knew that it would cause problems with I PRS come back and all that. You. Uh, yeah and and I'd got uh, yeah there was just they would have that would never have worked for me um, so I never did your you know I know Joe his metro but, tapes were legendary I had them but I never um, I never made them I like maybe occasionally for mates I would do it but um, I, I never did the selling tapes and then laterally CDs at gigs dude I suppose your radio show was your tape because people could tune in every week and, and get I, the fix I, it's, it's funny when I used to do the chart show I remember being at a restaurant with my mum and dad when I just started in the radio so this is going back to 91 we're in this Italian restaurant and remember people used to record the charts and cut out the DJ <laughs> so you, my voice would be coming in there and go that's a new <laughs> number 26 <laughs> and they're stopping and I'm sitting there raging going because <laughs> <laughs> it's you they're cutting out that's me they're cutting out I'm going to press my mum and dad here <laughs> your food's <laughs> shite <laughs> I'm not coming back I'll, I'll tip you don't cut a fucking DJ out <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, what else? So, like, things are picking up. Was the was the the radio show? Was that an instant success because of the hunger for yes. dance music? Just blown 100%. right up straight off the bat. It, it was. A, if it wasn't an instant success, it was. Ah, basically, that's that's what I'm saying. You get three months to to prove this. Radio right. works in like three month cycles, so they, they they assess the figures over three months. So you get three months to prove yourself, and it it smashed it more or less right away and I think that was, it was certainly it was all down to the music rather than, than me but it was just an opportunity for people to hear these tunes yep uh, was, it, was yeah. there a pressure on you George for this to be a success or were you just really confident in dance music and what you were doing 
I was really confident in dance music and, and what I was doing and I wanted it to work, but there wasn't any pressure for it to work. It wouldn't have like ruined my career. I mean, I wouldn't have the career I've got now if it hadn't worked, but I, I was still at this point seeing myself as a, a daytime radio DJ who was getting to do his passion at the weekends. Um, so this is what I was into. So it was, it was more a labour of love, you know what I mean? It yep. was like, this is, this is passion. And, you know, if, if it didn't work out, I'd hold my hands up and say, well, I tried and maybe maybe that, that type of show wouldn't work. But that, because I'd seen how well Tom was doing it for, I kind of knew it would work. Yep. Uh, I was like, I would have been shocked because Glasgow's always been a, a, a big city for dancing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the West, this West of Scotland, just Scotland in general, really. But it, I, I, there was never... I never even contemplated failure with this, you know. I mean, I know that sounds quite arrogant, but I just uh, like, I knew that this this type of show would work. Maybe not with me, but this type of show would work. Uh-huh. And as it, as it's blown up, you should, you you actually just reminded me. And you were saying like, you know, there was that kind of rivalry back then. Obviously, more so in, in the radio and all that. Was it was a sort of rivalry on sort of listening figures and all that? But what Tom was doing over on the east coast? No, no, there wasn't. There wasn't, and I'll tell you why. Because. Um, Within about two or three months, um, the two stations joined. Ah, okay. Joined, so they, they amalgamated, and um, we we're all one kind of big happy family. So we we're all one. I mean, I think privately, I, I think we all want to do better than each other. You yeah. know what I mean? But it was never a kind of like old firm type divide or Glasgow Edinburgh divide. You know what I mean? It was just like we wanted the shows to do well. And they did, and uh, there was never any kind of rivalry with me and Tom. I mean, I think if it had been the other way around, if I'd been an established guy and this young guy came in and started cutting my grass, I'd be absolutely <laughs> raging. But Tom wasn't that type of guy. He was such a, a gentleman, you know what I mean? He was encouraging and, and never said a, a bad word about me or said anything nasty to me at all. And he, he was a lovely, lovely guy. And, he, he, uh, was, he was, wasn't he? And I mean, yeah. the, the support he did for the Scottish scene and yourself, you know, that in itself helped the two shows helped grow the Scottish dance scene you know encouraging artists you know getting behind playing you know all the various bands various record labels tracks and all that and and Scotland like very quickly became you know no longer we were looking for records for overseas you know there was loads of artists playing here in Scotland and they were playing our tracks kind of thing you know yeah, it was it was very quickly that happened, didn't it? It was like really easy to get a record deal in Scotland, and at this point, like every major record label sniffing about, seeing seeing what's happening up here. Yeah. But then we developed our own sound and kind of broke away from the pack. You know, I mean, we just did our own thing, which yeah. we, we still do to a certain extent today. I uh, definitely. I mean, is there any sort of you've got the radio show, you're DJing, are you starting to get hungry for actually producing any music at this time, George? No, no, um, I'm not really that interested in producing music that that came a lot later i think i i did get into i remember doing a track with you years Aye. ago with you and roger because he used to and talk you into coming down doing a remix for us yeah he talked me into coming in soon that was one of the first things i did um i was also um i was doing some stuff i, I like i had like one of the ataris remember the ataris yeah. back in the day for making tunes on, and I, I was trying to get stuff on that but it just sounded appalling so i, I, I never really did anything with that but yeah th- that time i came in with you and roger was one of the first times i did it and then i did a few things with um sean mack from chill fm mm-hmm. did a few tracks with him because um by this point 
I'd had my wee boy Ross and me and Ellen moved to Kilbarkin and Sean was in Bridge Weir, which is a village next to us. So he invited me into his studio and me and him started messing about. And that's really how I, I, I kind of got into it. What like, kind of year was that, George? That would have been, oh, when was that? That was probably about 97, right. 97, 98, something like that. So a few, a few years on. Uh-huh. Um, and back then again it was like again before the internet so you were doing tracks and you were getting them pressed on the white label and stuff like um so yeah that, that that's kind of how all that opened up for me the, the whole production, the production side, side. yeah when so i mean the, the, the 90s and all that mid 90s was just a golden era Really I don't know how, how how did how did you deal with I suppose you've got the radio show and all that but we've never really spoke about this is is like 97 98 sort of obviously people are kind of maybe getting bored with the hardcore Scottish kind of sound and there was this kind of period of trance wasn't really accepted as much in Scotland where did you find yourself towards the end of the 90s was you was you in a kind of I certainly was was you in a sort of no man's land or where you wanted to go musically or did you still always have a direction because you had your show I was loving that kind of banging trance thing yep. that um, T.S. Don't Very Corson and all that we're doing. By then, um, I, I kind of moved away from the hardcore. I still love it and I still play some of it. Yep. But I'd kind of like, when I was going out to clubs, it, it almost, it, certain clubs didn't want you playing it. In fact, sometimes yep. it would tell you under no circumstances you're playing hardcore. Um, so I, I found myself playing more and more trance uh, or place if I was doing a, D, a DJ set in somewhere like the Foo Bar that had two rooms, I would do the hardcore room upstairs for an hour and then the, the house room downstairs for a couple of hours. But mm-hmm. obviously playing kind of like more banging house where you had tall pole stuff and Tiesto and all that kind of thing. Uh, and that's kind of the, the way the show moved. Um, and by the end of the 90s, this is when it all started to turn to shit. Um, the, the show kind of became a victim of its own success because Smirnoff came in and um, decided to sponsor it. So it, instead of being called the GB experience, it was called the Smirnoff experience. And then suddenly I'm sitting there going, ah, I seem to have lost my show here to, to this right. Is that just business in it? Corporate thing just jumped on board, die. Corporate. And at the, the, the time it's like, oh, this is going to be great for you because they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And none of these things happen. And it's just kind of, oh, I seem to have lost the name of my show. You know what I mean? But yeah. you just go on with it and that's fine. And I kind of went through like 90, when 99, I went through like a really bad period uh, when my dad died and I just like, started drinking all the time and yeah. just like, like completely fell apart and um, had a, a kind of like w- what would probably be considered a breakdown now, you know what I mean? Just like, just, it just like, all turned to shit yeah. and ended up leaving Clyde. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I said, I can't do this anymore because my, my head was just fucked. And uh, I went to Beat 106. Uh, because that guy, started at the end of nineties, was yeah, it? That started aye, in, aye, aye. Nine, it started in ninety nine, December ninety nine. Ah, okay, so I, 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 I left. I actually Clyde. forgot you went to beat one hundred six. I only lasted about two weeks. So <laughs> I, I, I generally did, literally lasted like two weeks. So <laughs> sorry for laughing. I was DJing in the tunnel right. at the time, right? And Ron McCulloch on the tunnel had beat one hundred six, so he was like, "Oh, I'll start my own radio station." And then Bobby Hayden, the guy that helped me out at the start of my career when I was doing um, the kind of daytime shows. He was a boss at Clyde that, that started, G- in fact, he came up with the name GB Experience. He um, he was the boss, he'd left Clyde and he'd gone to Virgin and then Ron had brought him back to run this new radio station. And 
there was a few other people involved. I think Charlene might have been involved and I knew Charlene and I think Carol Smiley had money in it and I knew Carol because my mum worked at STV so she worked with her on Wheel of Fortune and stuff. And it, it, it just like I was talking to everyone, oh, come, just, you know, you, you need a new start. It'll clear your head and, and come and work for this new radio station. So I did and I went there and straight away I thought, this, this is a bad move, man. I've, I've made a really bad mistake here. Uh, but I wasn't getting on with the managing director at Clyde at the time. I found him. He was an old army guy. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like very kind of military and like times have moved on and it's not as, radio's not as strict as that now and you need freedom to be able to yep. go on and, and, and be yourself, particularly on a breakfast show because I'd moved to the breakfast show at this point. Um, so I went and I did the breakfast show on Beat 106 and after about a week I thought this this is this is a terrible idea what the hell have I done it's just because my head was in the wrong place mm-hmm. that I've, my dad was still alive he would have talked me out but I'd never have done it I probably wouldn't even have thought about it so Clyde decide at this point that they're going to change their managing director they get rid of him and they bring in Paul Cooney who was doing the sport at the time and he's now the boss and he's like I'll buy you out your your contract and come back to Clyde so I was literally like I was away for about two weeks and uh uh, he said, take a couple of weeks off. So I took about a month off. He said, go away, stop drinking, clear your head. Everything will be fine and we'll look after you. And they did. And they were great. And they've been great ever since. But in between times, of course, Smirnoff have now taken over GB Experience. So they've decided to turn it into a kind of funky house show. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Tom might have done it for a wee bit. And then they decided to change it. And like, I'm out, Tom's out. And they brought in, um, who was I trying to think? Who was it? It was Huggy Burger Queen. You know him, he's a nice guy. Ah, he's, but, ah, but, Hug, he's Edinburgh, isn't he? Huggy. Yep. Edinburgh, exactly. So he was playing all the kind of like. That was his stuff anyway. That was the kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, that was his vibe, right? And that's fine. So that's what the Smirnoff experience became. It became this funky house show. So I'm back and I'm doing the breakfast show. And the the what was the GB experience has now gone on and been the Smirnoff experience and it's turned into this funky house thing. And it kind of didn't really work as well because Glasgow likes it more by end. I mean, it's still got an audience, but nothing yep. like they had. So as time went by, um, they tried a few other DJs on it. I think Big Trevor maybe did it for a while, but by then Smirnoff had made their mind up that they're pulling the sponsorship. So like a couple of years later, the whole thing's gone. And it's just, I'm just back to being like a daytime radio DJ. Are you, um, obviously you're still got oh, there's all your gigs at the weekend and all that as well you're yeah still- there's still still gigs at the weekend but they're few and far between now because right. you haven't got the dance show to back it up so it's kind of like you'll you take anything anything that's going and you'll play anything that you do and this is going into like 2000 and probably about 2001 2002 uh, and the dancing's starting to take a dip there's not many dance students coming out and it's just like you're really struggling so I found that was like a really bad era right up until about 2008 so you can back sorry George to interrupt you you went back to do GBX after Smirnoff and so you're in the show doing GBX and you're feeling it's no really a good few years this 2008 no, they're, they're not letting me GBX oh, okay, right, GBX right. you're just doing stopped. the day presenting right, right. Smirnoff have done it I'm just doing the day presenting right. uh, I've, I've not got a dance show and like I'm I've I've like fallen by the wayside at this point and it's just like everything's done to shit and I'm still doing the the breakfast show and that's paying my wages and that's great but I'm not getting any gigs nothing like that and 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 I'm really missing it and I'm I'm still 
trying to make dance music with with Sean and people like that. Uh, but the, there's nothing. There's no vehicle for me to to play on. And I'm still getting the occasional. By this time, old school's coming back. Old school, well, not coming back. Old school's becoming a thing. Yep. So it's kind of like you know bits and pieces and adagio for strings and yeah, in transit free and your stuff and the, the clubs are starting to play a little bit of that so I'm getting a kind of like almost a, a kind of retro guest appeal I'll come and do this and I'm doing this club in Kirky uh, Tantra in Kirky uh, like once every couple of months on a Saturday night and I'm playing all the old school and everyone's loving it and I'm thinking oh we should have like an old school show so somebody starts a Bebo campaign to bring back the GB experience. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, right. So this is like 2007 and um, somebody starts and hundreds of people sign. And Bebo was fucking like, massive then as well. Oh, was huge. That In was Scotland, a, it was yeah. the thing. Like Facebook was nothing. It was all about Bebo. Yep. And it was just it's like, I went to my boss at the time, uh, uh, in between times, is this English guy has been running the radio station. And um, so Paul Cooney's left and there's this English guy running it and he's making an absolute arse of it. And I'll never forget this because I've met him since and I've thrown this back in his face. <laughs> I've been trying to get the GBX back on air. And he said to me, face it, mate, you're a breakfast joke. You're not a club joke. The show won't work. And I'm like, all right, okay. So that's it. So that's like shattered my confidence and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, this people think of this guy's now gone and there's another guy come in and this Bebo campaign started and I go to him and I say look why don't we try this because they've got like 8% of the audience on a Saturday night or whatever and um, I said to them why, why don't we bring this back and he said alright 90 minutes you can have 90 minutes on a Saturday night so I, I went on from half six till eight and we took it in three months from 8% to 16% and then they started, all oh, right. And then the next one, it went to 20%. They were like, see that, uh, Nightmare, can we move it? Make that <laughs> and I think last time around it, we had 36% of the audience. Amazing. Just like insane. And it's now obviously a four hour show. Uh, yep. But that was how GBX came back. So it, it, we had to like resurrect it from nothing and build it all back up again. But of course, technology's moved on now and you can get interaction with punters. The internet's a thing. Um, yeah. Tweets are a thing. Texts are a thing. There's phones in the studio that you can answer yourself. People can call in and the show becomes interactive. And so it becomes a different type of show because it's almost like a request show. It's yeah. a request show for, for dance music uh, with guests on and stuff, obviously doing mixes and what have you. But the heart of the show is, is a request show so it's become a totally different type of show how did it how did that request I mean that without doubt the show is an institution isn't it I mean in it, have you ever sort of stood back and went fucking hell that is a thing in itself you know what you've created there it's 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 this legendary Scottish thing now isn't it yeah, it's. It, I know I've never really sat and looked back at it because I'm so You're concerned so in it. about in it and, and still been in it but I think when when I'm when I kind of retire and decide, right, I'm going to go and live in Ibiza or something, um, I'll look back and I'll go, fucking hell, man. How did that that was a thing. And actually, having this conversation with you is like therapy because I'm like, this is quite cool what we've seen. You don't really think what you've achieved and yeah. you look back yeah. on it you think, actually, that's something because I've never actually scripted out the journey you know I mean I've, I've done lots of like interviews and podcasts and things like that but never solely about dance music and and when I have this chat with you and I look at the whole map I think 
yeah. that is up and down and it's an absolute roller coaster and it's it's amazing that, that we've got to this point now with the support of everybody and it's just like it's so much fun it's just like i'm so blessed to be doing it because it's like I, I don't even know if it's what i always wanted to do i always wanted to be in the radio but i don't know if i always wanted to be like the club guy and be djing and be you know making records that are getting to like Top ten at iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Ah, that's like, incredible, incredible. I'm, I'm like a number one, a number two last year, and I'm like, well, how did all this happen? You know what I mean? You know, working with backer and stuff like that is that like, when you look back, you think, how the fuck did I get this? You know what I mean? But, but then again, it's, it's just doing what we spoke about earlier. You could maybe pass that off as luck or whatever, but if you look at everything that you've done, you know, it's a solid graft. You know, there's, you know, and. You you get into it without me asking, but you had your downtime where you kind of you almost kind of lost yourself. Yeah, but then it's well, that could've, driving could've gone that, so horribly wrong. Aye, could've gone horribly wrong. But then it's that driving that passion that gets you back in the driving seat. You know, you you know you need to find who this guy done the Bebo campaign for a start. I don't know if you Absolutely. know who it was. <laughs> oh, I, didn't know, I definitely owe this person a pint of Freebie next time I'm playing Kirky, bring your pals. I know, but I mean, you're, you're you're built it back up, and like I say, it's like an institution. I remember years ago, you know, of, of you know what it's like, George, you, you meet loads of people, loads of different DJs and artists and stuff like that. And I remember guys who I used to think, well, like these cool, like they only listen to Detroit techno and all that kind of stuff. They would be blasting the GBX before they go I, to fucking these these <laughs> cool clubs that we never even know exist. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they're yeah, just getting the party. <laughs> getting crazy, getting on it. What's the club like I don't know, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but they're in listening to your show and just it's starting their night and it's then mad, they're going, they're leaving the house and then they're becoming these cool guys only listening to Detroit Techno. You know, yeah. and, you're, and, and, and I just went, well, it happened a few times and I was like, this is, this is like, its own thing there isn't anything you know there isn't really anything close because you've built this thing it's an institution you know what I mean and that, that's the thing that I don't like I've seen it have you ever stood back and seen it as that but you're too busy in it I guess I don't think it takes itself seriously I think that's part of the appeal you know what I mean we don't think we're cool we're not going oh we're going to break this new track we're going to change the sound we're just it's a, it's an interactive request you whenever it yeah. gets involved in it you know what I mean it doesn't matter how young or how old you are it's, it's so many Waynes love it it's, a, it's weird now when you do the gigs you think you know I'm mid 50s you know what I mean and it's, you're turning up at clubs and it's all 18, 19 year olds you know I did the, the FUBAR and Sterling um, in January and like the average age was about 19 it was mad it was Aye. just like but again like, they've, young they've, are into it. they've grew up through your show and all that and they know Aye. you and they're, they're into this, this thing another question that's kind of came to my mind when did it become a, the request show or was that always part of it because even that in itself you know the, the, the phone calls and your partner and all that that's almost become I, 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 no part of also has the music as well but part of the fucking show as well that I, did it start as that or it just, just grew ac- into it accidentally accidentally it was like, like when it came back to, so January 2008 it started and obviously it's not been on for like eight years or something and technology's changed and it used to be if you wanted to do phone calls you would have to have somebody in a phone booth to answer but now the technology is you just answer the phones in the studio and you can record them on a different bus when the, the music's playing out yep. and you edit them up and stuff. So people are phoning oh, these people want. So I'm just like answering the phone going, hello? And so, hello, uh, could you play uh, Ultrasonic and I Light and Rhythm? And I'm, 
Aye. Um, <laughs> who's, it, who's it for? It's, oh, it's for me, Davy and Tammy. <laughs> Bobby and Helen, and you know what I mean? And all these names, you're like, okay. And I thought, oh, that actually sounds quite good. I like that. I haven't put that out. This is a good story as well. People are like, oh, what's the number? And I'm like, so 1419511025. So then it just, like, within weeks, it goes off, and there's, there's seven lines. And every time you, you, the show starts, in Super Scoreboard get really pissed off because, like, the last time <laughs> they're trying to get people to talk about Celtic Rangers. It's Georgie Boy there! And some of the calls you get that, that don't go out on air are just like, oh my God. That could be a show in itself, that. George. Yeah, well, honestly, I, I think I'll do it. It's just like, oh, some of the stuff. I mean, you get people say, oh, some of those people that phone you say, that's nothing. You've heard nothing. <laughs> you should hear the ones that don't go out on air. Oh my God, like everything. It's just crazy. But yeah, within a couple of weeks, it's like everyone's phoning in. And then this woman phones up and She's gone mental because her phone number is one digit <laughs> So, so Saturday night in her house is hell. Because, oh, it's so You get over there's no Georgie Boy. Fuck off! Georgie Boy, what are you? You know what I mean? And it's like, oh my god. So we actually had to to set up. A number um, that we still want to your host. Yeah, yeah. We had to get like I think it's not like an 089 number. It's not one that you have to pay for. So it's still like a, a local rate number. Yeah. But it wasn't an 0141 number because this woman was getting like calls all the time. So we had to get <laughs> we had to get a, a local rate number that was not 0141. And yeah. That's that, just for that, her sanity. Just for that because I could only imagine because like I know. Um, when the receptionist comes in on a Monday morning and f- checks Clyde's reception, there's an answer phone and it's just full of like 20 messages and she won't even listen to them because she'll know every single one's for me and <laughs> delete it, you know what I mean? Same with the Cash for Kids office, same with the newsroom. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They just get calls all the time because people just Google uh, Radio Clyde number and different numbers will come up. Amazing. I was going to ask you as well, would did, uh, he, this is maybe mid-90s as well, all the noise up, Calls was that something that you did as well? Pat Corbett, I get asked that all the time. I get is that, that you constantly? And people say, like, um, I deny it's me because there was gangsters getting noised up, and I'm scared that they come looking for me. Honestly, see if I did do that, right? I would be shouting it for the rooftops because that stuff was genius, man. Oh, unbelievable! Because I, I genuinely didn't do it. Right, right. Because I, I get I, asked I, that all the time. I, people will not believe that it wasn't me because they, oh, he's just saying that because you know. He was noising up um, Studge Daniels or something like that. But I, I, I genuinely wasn't. I, I, I just, like, it wasn't me. I, I believe it was guys in Hazel. But it wasn't me. <laughs> You're just scared I'm, I'm sure Snudge comes and catches up. <laughs> <laughs> what can I name Snudge? <laughs> and see when I found out that, that, that this guy was like, like, knowing I was like, oh. people think that's me. Shit. And it generally isn't me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get done in for somebody else. But I'm sure, like, any of the guys that, that were on that call, I mean, we did something similar with that on the radio with the Make Your Dad Mad thing. And it, I don't think anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, you, you wouldn't take that offensively, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You'd probably blow the, up at the time and then maybe you'd, I, you'd see this funny side that after kind of hang. This is 25 years later, you know what I mean? I uh-huh. think... Uh, it, it, I, 
if, if I did do that, I probably would have denied it at the time and then would tell you now it was me and be really proud of it. But I would hate to take credit for someone else's work because it right. generally wasn't me. It generally, <laughs> but it was genius. And I did have it because it was Ellen's dad actually let me hear it for the first time. And he died believing it was me. He gave me the cassette and he said, I know this is you. And I'm like, it's, it's not. I said, but it does. Wish it was. Guy, there's a couple of guys on it. There's one guy that does sound a lot like me, but it's, uh-huh. it's generally not me. And I could have sworn sure Somebody told me, um, I can't remember, it was a guy at a different radio station, I can't remember who it was, um, but somebody told me that he'd met the guy and he was raging because he said that I was running about telling people it was me when it, <laughs> when it wasn't. And I was like, I've never in my life said it's me. And people just assume, and I still get, still get people texting the show, tweeting the show, whatever, say, all right, Rab, going to give us a shout out? You know what I mean? All that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. I'm not Rab Corbett. Sorry. So GBX is blowing up, is back on the on the show on the radio. When are you taking, or when when's the thought of taking that out to gigs, or does that just come hand in hand? How does it become a gig thing, sort of thing? How did you start to think about taking that on the road? Is that just expanding on your guest appearances? Aye, it's just like, well. I, it's just basically like, see the, the GBX events, I mean, people think I put those on and I don't. Promoters put them on, you know what I mean? They just use the name um, GBX and the, the, they'll build the night around me, but I don't actually have anything to do with it. I don't sit and pick all the DJs and whatever, you know what I mean? The the, the promoters will talk to like Sparkos or something like that and the, the two of them will will come up with a lineup. Yeah, um, sure so it's not actually me sitting there going, right, I want this guy on that guy. Because yeah. I just throw all my mates on, you know what I mean? It's just be a party. <laughs> I, just, I got a lads in a lobby, fine. So yeah, the the, the GBX events, I'm, like, I'm involved in to a certain extent, but I, I'm just really a DJ on, to yeah. be honest with you. But it's based around, you know, artists that would get played on the GBX. So yeah. it might be like Colours will do it, or it might be... Um, uh, Paul because I am a raver he does some and uh, various people do our clubs will do like a GBX night and book myself and DJs that play similar music but I don't actually promote I know that you do it with the 1994 yeah. thing and it's massive but I, I just don't have the time for all that you know what I mean I just don't yeah. have the time it is a headache that. as well sort of thing to try to do all that and you'll upset people as well because you'll get DJs go oh come he's on three times I'm on four times aye, or, aye. or vice versa you know what I mean uh, so it, it's like I just don't take anything to do with that at all and I think that's, that's one less thing to worry about but um, but they, they, they themselves have became things that, you know like, things you know they've grew legs eight legs in itself you know those nights are massive you know they're selling out I, everywhere I we had the SWG3 sold out on Saturday night. That was just crazy. It was mental. And it was an amazing night. I loved it. And it was a, a buzz. But th- that's why it was really tough when, and you, you'd have found that as well, when, when, you know, lockdown, when suddenly just all that gets taken away from you. Yep. And, and so, but it, it gives you the kick up the arse you need as well to get in the studio and do stuff. And, you know, we're, we're lucky enough that certainly for guys like you and me that, that have got our own studios, we can go in and just like make tunes. So that's an escape as well, you yeah. know what I mean? And that, that that's another kind of arm of it that, that's kind of taken off really well. Uh, so the, it was a kind of good thing. And obviously the live streams and all that during lockdown went crazy. And now we're doing, you know, we're trying to do the show live on Facebook on a Friday night, but it's it's becoming such a challenge. I mean, we're, you get like 100,000 views on Facebook on top of your, your listeners. Yeah. It's like, everyone's just like, 
tapping into it all over the country. And the, the Friday night show goes out all over Scotland. So it's going out. You can listen to it in Aberdeen. You can listen to it down the borders and all that kind of stuff. And you know, there's a like hundred thousand people watching it on Facebook. But you'll just drop a tune and there'll, there'll be some algorithm in it that will cut you off and say, yeah. "Oh, you don't own this." And we noticed on Friday there, it was like maybe five times we get cut off and. 15 minutes and we just had to give up so I don't know I need to find another angle for that maybe like uh, Twitch, or, Twitch something or something like that, like that. Yeah. Are you are doing that yeah. but it's I know that, Facebook's just a good portal to get it but it's just a shame it is because you know we built up a big Facebook page here and it's easy access for people I wouldn't know where it started Twitch but I guess that's what what I have to look at next you know because yeah. I, mean? I think you do stuff on it I, I do I just kind of stream them on you know Facebook Twitch and Hey, what's the other one? Oh, you do them all together. Aye, all, all together. You just get. A, I think there's a program called UStream. Uh, it's a guy. Right. Is it for us? And and it basically, as you're streaming to one, it's just streaming to like three or four platforms. You can do it to YouTube as well. And then obviously you'll get your ones that will like Facebook. It will shut you down. But at Aye. least you're Did getting the, the traffic, and you can see people to Facebook uninterrupted come over to Twitch where they've yeah. sorted out their PRS stuff and all that aye, but aye. I think you're still that's you're Facebook's at. still getting a lion's share of the oh you know, yeah it's the everyone's mum's got Facebook you know what I mean it's like every single person's got Facebook I know it's that, mad that's it so it's, it's so, easy yeah I mean everything's, everything's gone you know when I was my, one of my questions to you was like when would you say is the golden age but What's been great about just watching what's happening with the, the, the show and GBX now, it, it just seems to be like a golden era all the time. You know, it's just gone from strength to strength. You know, even like the streaming thing is, is blown up and probably getting to even more people. More people are coming to your gigs because they're seeing it there. Because yeah. I was going to say, did you have a golden era? But you're... I don't know. I, I, I'm enjoying right now more Aye. than any time ever. And I, I know that's bizarre because it's like, I, I think... I appreciate it more now, you know what I mean? I appreciate that people have stuck with me and we've gone on this kind of journey together and yep. still doing it, you know what I mean? And it's, it's really weird. It's like, it's funny, I was reading, um, I've just done this track with uh, Joseph, who's a big kind of like Glasgow singer. Uh, and he sold out of Barrowland. We went to see him and I thought, oh, I really want to do a song with this guy. And I found an old um, interview with him in, uh, I think it was Evening Times or something. And it's just when he was breaking through and he was saying that uh, where, where he grew up in the East End, he said he was always into like jazz and he was singing like Chet Baker songs and Amy Winehouse songs. He said, and everybody was listening to GBX. Was like, oh, that's so cool, that's great. You know I mean? uh, so it, I, it's just become a kind of like a, a part of the Glasgow culture, isn't it? So it, it's, right. it's been great, but you never take it for granted. You know what I mean? It's just like, we're, we're blessed to do what we do. Really I think lucky. the minute you do take it for granted, that's, you know, the the downfalls falls shortly after didn't it I mean Aye. even getting into your production that's a long time coming but now you're enjoying success with like you're saying you're actually getting chart hits and you know yeah, you, I mean, you're working with Mark Sparkos isn't it and he's I Sparkos fired out some, some bombs that are we'll get a studio on the I've got, I've got my own studio here so what will happen is I'll like like because I play Mark doesn't play he's like the kind of technical guy he's brilliant all the production side of things so I'll like, play keyboards and all that on it and send it over to him and he'll it'll just be a mess and he'll just clean it all up and all that kind of stuff and he'll add his magic to it and change stuff and all that kind of stuff but the, the track will start with me just sitting down at a piano just like 
picking out a tune uh, and working it on that way. So I'll, I'll sit in here during the day and do it. And then Ellen and Mark will work in the studio until like four o'clock in the morning. And I get up about half four in the morning. So she'll be coming in as I'm getting up. We'll just kind of like pass each other. It's, it's mental. Well, I, but it's I like didn't know Ellen was involved in the, in the production scene. involved in it too. Yeah, she's right into it. Yeah, she, she loves it. So her and Mark are in the studio three or four times a week. You know what I mean? Work just, it working uh, on, on various tunes and that, that's great doing all different stuff you know what I mean doing obviously the banging GBX stuff but also doing kind of radio stuff because I was talking to uh, Giuseppe Ottiavani about this at the, the weekend and he was saying you know that he does two different types of music he'll do like song for a daytime radio and then take it and, and change it completely for the gigs and I think you have to do that now as well so that's, yeah. that's what we've started doing as well Amazing What so, about so the meet, obviously you're getting a chance to meet loads of artists and all that and as Am I, am I right? You, you did the Belter. You and Sparkos did the Jerry Silver. Aye, aye, that was just that. That was just like a joke almost. It was, was that kind a of bootleg like, or something like that. Aye, it was just a bootleg. That, it was just a, mega. It's gone off. You know what I mean? It was in Mark's house. I think he spent about an hour on it, and it just like it was just really simple. And it was just, aye, let's do that. And it was like I think we were just having a few beers. You know what I mean? He's sitting. He's going. Oh, he, Mark did most of the work on that track. I mean, I get credit for it, but it was mostly Mark did more or less all of that. And uh, we just aye, 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 that sounds great. And then we started playing it, and it went off. And I, I think we just did it for the gigs just to play our gigs yep. and we've never released it or never put it out for people to download again but what's happened is people have heard it on the radio recorded it off the radio almost like them back to the old chat shows recorded it off the radio cut out your chat put it out on, <laughs> aye, cut it? me out put it out still doing it and they put that out there and I, I, I think Jerry's cool with it I don't know if he's pissed off about it I've never met Jerry so I don't know um, but it's, it's had millions of hits. It's yep. mental. And you hear it everywhere you go. My son phoned me from, uh, I think he was in Spain or something, Lanzarote or something. I phoned him. I was, I was sitting in the bar on the plane. <laughs> the remix is she's a belter. It's everywhere. Uh-huh. It's, it's mad. But I, I mean, I think, as far as I know, Jerry's cool with it. Uh, and like, we've never profited out of it or tried to release it or anything like that. Yep. And anything that's out there is just a bit like a people just taking off the radio and it's great there's a lot of love for it but I think it's probably helped him as well oh, definitely I mean bizarrely I mean he's he's grew up in your show because I mean his I, early shows he's, you can hear the stuff that he used to do wonderful days and stuff I, I, that, that. I mean that's to me that's just like coming out of GBX you know like what I've seen to you about all the, like the techno guys listening to GBX before they start the night you know Jerry could be listening to GBX with a couple of cans before he goes in to do an open mic night or what you know like that's how that's how part of it that's how in the blood of Scotland your show is you know it's, it's affecting all these people in many different kind of levels kind of thing which is not necessarily people you think yeah aye exactly exactly so I mean I'm sure he's you know super proud of that you know and the fact that it's <laughs> part so. of that GBX so. kind of thing that he's probably grew up on yeah, it's cool, it's, but that that was mostly Mark. In fairness, he did an amazing job on that track. That was a, a lot more him than me. But um, the, the the yes sir, I can boogie thing was great because that came about because yeah. of the football. You know what I mean? And I'd uh, I'd done a mix for um, Kieran Tierney because uh, he he's he, he's the DJ in the Scotland dressing room, and like I know he's a he's right into GBX. So I was talking to him and I said I'll do a mix for you guys for that World Cup qualifier, and I sent it to him. And I think the first track on on it was I'm feeling it. So all the Scotland 
Tamer all singing, I'm feeling it, jumping up and down. And then there was another video came up with them singing, Yes, sir, I can boogie. So, um, and that the, sparked the, the idea for you. That sparked the idea. And the, the, the son were like that. Um, oh, who's going to do the remix on Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie? Will it be Calvin Harris, George Bowie, blah, blah, blah? And I saw this in paper. I thought, I'm going to phone them up and say, because they were interviewing Maria uh, from background. I said, Look, uh, I phoned Colin at the sun. I said, do, do you get a contact for Maria? Can you put me in touch with her? And he put me in touch with her. So I phoned her up and said, That's, um, She's the singer who sang it. She's the singer who sadly died recently. That's right. Uh, yeah. and, and I phoned her up and I got talking to Maria she put me on to her management and they said that they've lost the original vocal from back in the 70s so there's a big fire in some recording studio in New York and the original master tape was lost so I had to book and this is during lockdown and I don't know if you've been to Spain recently but the lockdown over there is much more severe than it was here even still there's some people from Ibiza over at the weekend are saying it's hell over there that like they couldn't believe how relaxed it is in Glasgow Mm -hmm. so I had to fly Maria and Christina, the background girls, into a studio in Madrid, hire a studio in Madrid, get them to re-record the vocal and send it back over to me. So wow. luckily we did that. And then sadly, Maria died like six months later or something. I thought, but if we hadn't done that, you know, that, that would have been lost forever. Fuck. So, uh, I never, yeah. And you know what as well? What? You know, it's a shame she died, but you know, you're... you're You've gave her a wee something special there, you know what I mean? Aye, I didn't that know that you'd, you'd re-recorded the vocals and all that. Yeah, we re-recorded. It wasn't like we did like a bootlegger. I actually flew them in, uh, had to book flights and had to book studios and all that kind of stuff. And uh-huh. stuff. But it was during lockdown, so I wasn't really doing anything else anyway. Aye. So it was fine. We'll get all this sorted out. And uh, again, I was driven. I was like, I have to do this. And by this time, I'd heard that the Fratellis were bringing their brush and I was like, oh, Fratellis are <laughs> not going to beat me here. I've been working on this for months. So like, I'm, I'm like determined whatever it takes and it's really weird because the, the, I shouldn't really be telling this but what the hell the management <laughs> do it now suckers the management like were not getting back to me so I've I've like done this bootleg version of it and it's pretty messy because I haven't got an acapella and I've sent it to them and I'm hearing nothing so I've heard that Baccarat are pissed off that the Fratellis have done a cover version of it and I don't know the Fratellis at all but I <laughs> I contacted Bakara and they never get back to me and I said actually um, just leave it because I've been asked to do a remix on the Fratelli's version so we're just going to go with that which was utter bullshit <laughs> within 10 minutes I've got like a proposal and it's like it's there, you know well, what I mean? I mean? And it's, that's how we got the track, you know? Yeah, that's it's, amazing, it's man. So, sorry, the Fratellis. It must have been some buzz, you know, like seeing just that song being embraced and all that, and then obviously playing What's it. Watching it up the charts, and it's like, <laughs> hey, it's, like, it's number two in the charts, and like even rival radio stations, like Radio One and Capital and all that are playing it, and I'm like, wow, we're getting played on the rivals, you know what I mean? And it's amazing. like, amazing. You, you never expect that. It was mad. It was, it was a crazy, crazy time. I hope this XL podcast becomes your soundtrack. And you think you're getting more excited about production sort of thing and things like that, yes. making you want to do even more? I'm loving it. I'm loving the production side of it because I'm learning all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning learning for guys like Sparkos. And, you know, every, you pick up something every time. Like that time I was in the studio with you, Roger, picking up tips. We were picking up tips from Sean Mike when I did the stuff with him. Everyone I've worked with, I just kind of like sit back and watch what they're yep. doing. Always learning, always learning. And just always eager to learn as well, you know what I mean? And And... 
I think the more you do, the, the better it gets, you know what I mean? And at the moment, like the, the, this track we've done with Joseph, it's been a little heavy lately. That's like getting played on the radio all the time. Every time I turn on the radio, it's there. And I'm thinking, well, we've actually made like, a big radio hit here. This is great. And it's helping him as well. And it's it just feels all to be coming together. You know, we're lucky enough to do a remix for you guys as well, which we appreciate the opportunity I, to do that for you and the Delta Frequency thing. With do, do you know what? See, on that remix, um, Blandy had sent it to us right now. I was like, ah, wicked, that's wicked. And you know that way we are? It's no until you hear it or see it in a club. And, aye, because uh, that was during lockdown, wasn't it? Aye. And uh, I can't even remember what gig it was. And, and I, it was it was one of the local guys who played it. And I, I went like, fucking hell. And it, it, it rocked again. I think I texted you like the next day. I went yeah, like, you I just fucking heard day. it in the club. It's fucking smashed the place. And, it, and again, it's just that... You're absolutely right. You know, we've been, we've been locked in for two years, and then you hear something in a fucking club with that extra oomph, and you just go, "Holy fuck, fucking hell!" And it sounded, you know, a hundred times better because I'm in a club environment, and then you're seeing it firsthand. People go nuts again, you know, from 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 not even being allowed out the house. And I was like, it's "Fucking, hell, it's a stormer, man!" All right, so we're done on that. It's it's just weird. It's just like um, it's great to see it. With people just interacting with your songs. We did this track with um, Scarabore. Uh, they're kind of they're a kind of like um, Celtic rock band, a bit right. kind of like Runrig, and they're, they're they're doing pretty well for themselves. So the radio two were supporting is, them a lot. Is that is there, are the three kind of young guys? Or no, there's about eight of them. There's about right, eight okay, of them. Right, not um, they play pipes and all that and fiddles and but it's it's kind of like rocky based. So we did this track with them. Take my hand. Uh, and they've adapted it as the, the rugby anthem. So wow. when Scotland are beating England in the rugby, suddenly the whole place is singing this tune that we made. And I'm like, Amazing. wow. And then the, the, the PA is playing it. And then my daughter, who works in this club, um, Bourbon in Edinburgh, she phones me up. She said, Have you got uh, Take My Hand? She said, The, the DJ's uh, ask, everyone's asking the DJ for it. So I had to go online and like, email it to my daughter so that the DJ could play it and all that. It's, it's just amazing when, when you do a track and it just takes off you, you'll have that as well when you're in a club you hear one of your songs come on you think oh this is clash you know Aye. like we were talking about that beat spell when you saw it you've, I mean you must you probably knew that the track well, you would have known the track was going to be in it as well but imagine being in the cinema and hearing your well, track coming through like. that's similar to like being in the club and hearing it in a big system when we went to it was like one of the premieres that they'd done and I, and I watched it in a hole as part of the film and I was just like I, I was actually a wee bit emotional because I was like this is fucking I mean, insane what? you know it's like a story of the dance music scene that we've all come through and, and you're the first song you're <laughs> the song in the film so even if folks are like shit, I go <laughs> got a buzz with it um, oh that was class I remember I, watching it for you, buzzing, going, "Ah, oh, fucking mouse, you get in." I, 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 it was, it was really, it was really nice, and it was a good time as well because it helped sort of bring Roger and I a bit closer together because we had kind of let's split up and went our own ways, and then through talking to him to make it happen, we get talking and all that kind of stuff. So that that was kind of nice. Um, I was going to go back to you and just say, you know, you're meeting all these different people. Is it, is it, has it been? Are you aware when you're meeting people with the show as well? Because that's quite because you're meeting a lot of celebrities, interviewing celebrities. But you know, like when you're out DJing, or you're still fucking George Geo. But then when you're meeting all these other kind of people, are you ever in awe of meeting all these celebrities, or, or do you just bring yourself to it and they're just another I, person? I just kind of bring myself to it. They're just just another person. It's 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 not really. 
I used to get really nervous when I was uh-huh. a big celebrity. I think as you get older, you just like you don't care as much. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, like what they, they're not going to bite you. You know what I mean? It's like they're there to sell their record, so there's nothing to be nervous yeah. about. And I think it's just like conversing with them and getting a good relationship with them and the record labels. I mean, there's people that that, that I've interviewed that I've gone on to work with. You know what I mean? Uh, through the interview and stuff. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, it's, it, uh, I, I don't really worry about that at all. You know what I mean? Even like. Like DJs and stuff, you know, view them. Um, so nobody's rocking up with big entourages and freaking you out or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, sometimes there was one great one we did with, I remember Coolio, Aye. the Gangsta's Paradise guy. So Coolio came into Clyde one day and he was out his face, man. He was gone, <laughs> right? Didn't know if it was New York or New Year. It was one of those. And he was, and I said to my producer, I said, I guarantee I could go back in there with a different T-shirt on and interview him again and he wouldn't know. And he said, <laughs> Bet you couldn't said, watch this, right? So I took my top off, put a different T-shirt on, put on a baseball cap and told him. So I, I interviewed him as George Bay for the breakfast show. And then I went in and told him my name was Destruction. And I did the, uh, the hip-hop show at the weekend. So I went in with a school cut up. Westwood County go, Yo! Everybody! My man! Coolio here! Destruction! I ran over his head. He's high-fiving. The whole Coolio's loving it. And the guy's record label sitting with his head in his hands. And, he go, and Coolio's going, I want you to send this guy my album. I want this Destruction. And the guy from record I need a ball. You've got to have a laugh, haven't you? I know, <laughs> I know definitely. Every time I hear about Coolio, I just think about that. <laughs> and the, my producer was like, oh, okay, you win. <laughs> oh, bro. It's so, good, but there's been people that I've, uh, I've interviewed that that I've I've like struck up a relationship with. Like, um, I was lucky enough, I mean, sadly, he's no longer with the that, but I was lucky enough to interview George Michael once. Wow. And I went down to, to London to do it and he was having a bad day and the interviews were not going well. And I had to do it. The, Clyde had decided they were going to do an hour-long special. So I had to get like at least 30 minutes of chat with him. So I was told I was getting 40 minutes. So um, I went in and the guy for the record label was like, bad news, the interviews aren't going well, George isn't enjoying it and um, we'll try and get you 10 minutes but it might be less than that. I was like, can he do an hour-long special in 10 minutes of chat? So I thought, right, okay, well, better than nothing. So went in, sat down with him, and somehow we just hit it off. I think we're a similar age, and we just kind of, I was talking about, you know, um, the Apollo, where, where, where my dad had the club upstairs, and I said that he snuck down one time when Wham were on, we're talking about an old gig that he did right at the very beginning. Yeah. And we just had this kind of interaction. So, like, 10 minutes became 20 minutes, became 40 minutes, became an hour. And I had to wrap up the interview and I was like, Look, George, I'm going to have to go because I've got a flight back to Glasgow. But it was lovely meeting you. Oh, yeah, man, lovely meeting you. And then the next day, the record label phoned Clyde and said, George is about to announce Hamden. Would um, George like to come and support him? So Amazing. I to, so I got to go uh, Hamden and support George Michael, which was incredible. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get to do it for, for Pink and Robbie Williams as well. So that's incredible, through, man. Through interviewing and getting to know them from the interviews and stuff, you know what I mean? Which is, which is great. So that that that's the, the the good side of it as well, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it must be hard equally as well. I mean, to uh, to to maintain that being professional doing your job when you maybe are dealing with people who you're just like this guy's just no any or this girl's gave me grief for, you know? Yeah. Is, is that quite a hard thing to negotiate an interview in about? 
They're few and far between, but yeah, there are a couple of artists who I've interviewed who have been hard work, like real hard work. But the, you don't have to put it out. You know what I mean? The, the, mm. This is always the thing. It's like when I was first starting out, it was like, oh my God, every thought's running through your head. What if this interview goes wrong? If it goes wrong, you just delete it. doesn't matter. No one knows right. you're talking to them. So if you're talking to someone and the interview is crap because they can't be bothered, um, they're lost. You know what I mean? We just won't put it out. It's no problem. People are still going to listen to the show. Oh, that's true and again do you think that's obviously that's coming from your years of experience and where you're at and now where you're just like you know they, they, they need you as well didn't they because that's that's what they're there to sell yeah, their wares I mean, or whatever isn't it yeah they, they need they need a, a gang of people like me you know what I mean I yeah. think if it was one person it, it wouldn't make a difference but if they treated everyone like that and everyone said I'm not going to put your interview out then I mean there are a few people who I've interviewed like the worst interview I ever did without question and I never put it out because I was embarrassed for her was Jess Glynn she was just that's a singer she's a female singer I, I, you never hear of her now but I think she was going through a really bad time and as someone that's been through a bad time myself I, I kind of got it so I just deleted the interview but initially I was so raging with how shit the interview was I wanted to put it out to let people know right, right. she was just like really rude and really arrogant she was uh, she was going to be doing Transmit and I said to her, right, excited about you coming to Glasgow. I've never seen you live before, so you didn't transmit a festival. And I said, what what can we expect at the festival? And th that was my opening question. I said, what can we expect if we're, we're all coming down to see you? So what can we expect because we're, we're buzzing for the show? And she was like, what do you think? I'm going to sit here and discuss my entire live set for you. <laughs> and I was like, that, this is the opening question. And, oh, yeah. and uh, I looked at Cassie who was doing the show with me and then she looked at me and I was like, Okay, let's just go with it. And I said, Can I ask you something, Jess? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. At this point, I stopped recording the wrong. I said, You ever got on a Jet 2 flight and go, Not that fucking song again? <laughs> <laughs> so Cassie spat a drink out of this <laughs> And Jess Glenn thinks this is part of the interview. So she's like, I wouldn't fly Jet 2. I said, well, I fly Jet 2 all the time. Said, I'm, I'm flying Jet 2. The weekend I'm going to Spain to see my mum and dad. And, and Jess Glenn's going, yeah, thanks for telling me where you're going on holiday. And I'm like, how long are you going for, Cass? <laughs> what, what's the temperature like at this time of year and all that kind of stuff? And it was just like, but you, you, sometimes you just got to do that. You know what I mean? I thought, this is going to sound great. I'm just going to like cut all this bit up. And it would have been really funny. But then like a couple of days later, I think I, I read she'd been on tour with the Spice Girls or something. She did some sort of meltdown. And okay. I thought, right, well, the lassie's obviously in a bad place. So I'm not going to like, rubber nose in it you know what I mean I just thought she was being arrogant so right. I just delete it and it, it wouldn't ever go out but it's, you, you do get that sometimes you get I mean everyone has bad days you know what I mean yeah. but you've got to try and be professional definitely I mean that that's the kind of thing what I think a lot of people don't see they, they just see what you do and think it's all you know champagne and good times and Everybody, I think, at one point, especially if they've been doing it for for decades, can I? You know, you, you hit the wall at some point, didn't you? And it's just, you're, you if you're lucky, you way. bounce back. You know, aye, aye. I mean, we went through the whole thing earlier on. It has yep. been a roller coaster ride, but um, the past like. 
14, 15 years have been fantastic and just yep. like I had the best time and just so happy to be doing what I do. I absolutely love it and long may it continue. But I'm, not, I'm not naive enough to think it's going to last forever, but right now it's it's just that I'm having so much fun doing this. It's incredible that people get it. Uh, and, and I think that's an amazing thing, you know, to be doing, you know, we're talking three decades, George, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and now your, your passion, your enthusiasm and you're enjoying it as much, if no more than you ever have done. Very few people get the chance to to experience that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think for a minute that I'm not lucky. You know what I mean? It's like I'm doing a job I love, and there's lots of people out there that are working their ass off for a minimum wage and a job they absolutely hate. You know what I mean? Try to support a family. We are absolutely blessed to do what we do. Yeah. And never forget yeah. that. That's true. And and winding things up then, George. Is again, I don't know if it's maybe something you've thought about. I, I would. It's something like a an artist album or anything like that yeah. tickled you yeah. or do you see yourself we're, doing we're that road or anything like that we're talking about it because we're just funnily enough we're just talking about this last week because we're looking at all the collaborations we've done, we've done songs with Texas we've done a track with Joseph with the you know the background thing the Scarabore track yep. uh, I think there's almost an album there right now you know what I mean we could do I mean there's a few other people that I work with the people that we're talking to behind the scenes right now and um, that that is definitely the plan um, possibly later this year to do a, an artist album because th there's loads of ideas that we've got and loads of good people that we're working with right now which is amazing and I'm, I'm really lucky where I live in, in Glasgow like this whole street is just full of musicians if I want a guitarist I get a boy across the road if I want like a, a top class singer an opera singer next door I'll get a, a guy that works for the Royal Conservatoire plays every instrument under the sun wow. loving two doors up as well and it's just a, this street is just full of it the guy from the Nightcrawlers you know the Push Your Feeling on track yeah. he lives across the road the keyboard player you know what I mean so it's like Brilliant. this street you can, I can just open the door and shout right you must come in and make a tune <laughs> and they'll come in you know what I mean and it's it's crazy here um, that's wicked it's like almost like a studio street. complex yeah it's honestly it's like that it's just crazy like everybody in this street like within two or three doors plays some sort of instrument or is involved in the music industry mad that's wicked isn't it well need the singing kettle live up the road and Artie and Silla live five doors up you know right, I mean? let's keep that on the, let's keep that quiet <laughs> we, we, we did a spoof with them last last year um just for a laugh, me and um, Sparkos did a remix of a Sing Kettle song and uh, we told everyone that it was coming out as a single on um, April Fool's Day. <laughs> and we got Artie and come on the show and say, yeah, yeah, we're right into GBX and we've done a bounce mix of Little Bunny Foo Foo and it's going to be coming out. Oh, that kind of stuff. Just to carry on. My daughter, I, I know that I know them because I went to a couple of shows to take my daughter over and she's mad for it for a while kind of thing. That Aye. and uh, what's the, with the Australian guys. Oh, the Wiggles. Ah, the Wiggles, that. And, 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 and have you ever done, well, I don't know if you've done, you do like the school run or whatever, and you'd have the CD on your car, you drop Aye. the kids off, see later, then you're driving back to the house or the studio, and you're listening to the Wiggles CD or the Singing Kettle CD, singing along, when he wanes in the motor. <laughs> Never done that, Mal. No, you're on your own. <laughs> no, I need a van. It was an odd guy I was talking to, he was Big he was boy saying, did it and ran away. <laughs> So true. Awesome, man. So the next thing we're doing together is 1994. For, I forgot about that. And, and I you know what? maybe plug the gig. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so looking forward to you doing your set because we did the, the FUBAR live stream. And mm -hmm. honestly, mate, the, 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 the love that you got for that set that you done was amazing. 
And I really like that. I like to do stuff like that because that's the kind of music like that was right there at the start of my career. And it's difficult for me to go out and do a set like that because at your traditional GBX gig, people have bought tickets and it's almost like going to see your favourite band and you go and see Oasis, you want to hear Wonderwall and all that yeah, kind all of stuff. You know what I mean? So if you come at GBX gig, you want to hear bits and pieces, you want to hear you're a superstar, otherwise you're going to be really pissed off. So it was nice for me to get the opportunity to do something yeah. a bit different, you know what I mean? And then even even told us that... Uh, it was quite a quite a, I like all these wee mad coincidences you were saying like you started the radio show in 94 and all that as well and I was like yeah. oh, that's wicked kind of thing you know um, yeah. and, and but the love from the, the set that you'd done on the live stream was brilliant and I, and I think it's going to be great when you when you play the actual set to a live crowd again you know like hey, just for lineup. you to play that kind of music start to finish as well and, and, and the crowd to be first hand just enjoying it it's going to be fun I'm really looking forward to it I'm buzzing for that so that's one that I'll sit beforehand and practice though because like you'll know yourself that music's quite hard to mix because a lot of it wasn't made by DJs it was made by producers so they didn't think about it because like like, if I'm in the studio you're in the studio like you'll think okay how's a DJ going to mix this in so you'll be essentially get your beats at the start of the beat everyone does that now but back in the day you know these guys were just musicians so they'd they'd put out tracks and it would just start with a big chord sequence and stuff and a lot of it is really hard to mix so you have to be you have to be on the ball. Right, that kind of stuff, don't you? It's really, it's really tough, but it's good. It's a good challenge. Looking forward to it. Listen, it's been absolutely amazing talk to you, and I, 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 I was going to say hope, but I know you've enjoyed it, and that's what I really enjoyed doing these kind of podcasts for because you know I'm learning something, uh, and then the people that I'm talking to you, it, it's, it's great to hear you get excited and, and almost step back and look at your journey and go, "Fucking hell, ah, that was great," and I, you know. It's, it, just a kind of conversation meandering along and I, I don't know I, I, got, I come away as buzzed up as hopefully you I've done it I'm buzzing right now just looking back at it when you say it out loud it's, it's like it's a form of therapy you've just like discussed your <laughs> last 30 years of your life you know what I mean it's like actually it's been pretty good man it's been fun it's, it's like it's, it's, it's worked out pretty well you know what I mean Aye. I don't think any of us and you'll be the same as you know the, all the stuff you've done and playing all over the world and all that kind of stuff you never dreamt of that when you were younger you know I mean, not at all. I know. You know what I mean? We've got a nice living, our wings want for nothing, and that's the main thing, isn't it? It's just like, it's, that's it. it's great, and we're enjoying it. Well, that, that's the thing. As soon as enjoyment goes away, then it becomes, I, I don't know, it could quickly become a nightmare if the enjoyment was in there. I, I think so. I think so. I, I mean, there are there are tragic stories about you know DJs and music, musicians and stuff that, that just didn't enjoy it and just went through hell, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we're lucky to be not one of those to be going out and doing what we do and doing what we love so long may that continue definitely thanks so much for having me on mate I really enjoyed it it's been a fucking pleasure um, just just before you go, I just now cutting popped out of my head. You, you mentioned it earlier about retiring. Do you do you see that day? I mean, I always kind of go, wait a minute. Somebody mentioned retirement. I go, you can't retire for this job. It's always going to be there. But yeah, do you, the have you got any end game or anything like that, or are you just doing it till you doing it till I drop? Um, I, I I I couldn't see me not doing it. I I, I don't know if you're like that. Like if you get a night off and you go out and. Someone's on the decks and I'm like, oh, someone's me was on the decks. <laughs> 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 it's one of those. Now what they up there playing? And so I wouldn't have played that. I'd have played that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's always oh, in you, isn't it? Oh, it's always in you, and I don't think you can ever walk away from it. I mean, there will come a day when when people don't want you anymore, and you move on to the next generation, and that'll be a really sad day for me. You know what I mean? Because it, it won't be my decision. Aye, aye, you're in it. 
Okay, yeah. Uh, I and you, you still there's still always be something, wouldn't there? there there's always something for everyone. Um, but yeah, that no plans to try. It's funny when I was younger, I was always like, I'm going to retire when I'm forty. And I, hit 40 oh, I'm going to retire when I'm 50 and I hit 50 so, and then you think oh, I'm probably never going to retire man this is too much fun it is it's good. definitely and, and and you're going for strength to strength and long may it continue man it's just it's you know even all the things that you've told me I'm just like fucking hell man that's that mad and I love learning all these you know all the stories and, and, and part of your journey and, and hopefully I know for a fact everybody listening I'll, I'll I've enjoyed your story and also be surprised by it as well because I think I don't really know if there's been many interviews like this with you, George, but a lot of people no, don't done, know the work and the passion that's behind doing what you do and, and that's how I enjoy it as well, you know? Because you get to see that. I don't think I've ever actually sat down and, and spoken about the entire journey before. I think this is the first time, so it's been great. Brilliant. It's been there's no need for me to go working folk <laughs> go, if they want <laughs> see, <laughs> see you in 1994 alright it'll all be good but yeah I'm coming to a club near you that's it on a radio near you there's a radio show but I mean is there any socials that people is it just everything heading well, to the yeah it's just like Facebook George Bay officials where all my stuff kind of lives and on Twitter at JBX Anthems so he's a wee follow all good uh, that's it. But everybody knew that already. <laughs> I hopefully a lot of people. But maybe there's people discovering this for the first time. Or whatever. I don't. I don't know. Which is it was always good. Aye, always new nice generations coming through. New generations come in. So I thought, oh, I didn't know about that. I thought you were that annoying guy that was on the radio in the mornings. I didn't know you did that. <laughs> the one, the one that freaks me out is, it took me a while to get used to it. Like if you play at a club where the the crowd's younger and they'll go, my my mum loves you. Oh, and you kind of go the wee bit he dies inside then you go ah, thanks that, you have to take the call <laughs> all the time like, can I get a selfie can I get a selfie oh wait till I give this to my mum she loves you <laughs> but you're thinking well you obviously get it as well because you wouldn't be here otherwise so so it's kind of alright it's, it's uh, nice I, I find that with the show people phoning in and it's like families you'll yeah. have like a lot of Wayne's will phone in because mum and dad are sitting pissed in the background <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get with five year old kid. Can I say hello to my mummy and my daddy and my granny and my little dog Rover? And can you play soap in a rope? <laughs> what? Soap in a rope? Bro, you sure, son? If we get that. So, that's, yeah, it's good. It's good. Mum, mum loves you, but they love you too. <laughs> we all love you, Mum. You know that. I gave up a residency because I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your fucking boy to come. <laughs> no, I'm not taking the picture. Just buy one of my records and come back when it's me, it's me that you like. I was on the back of a CD when I was younger. <laughs> me and Roger Willie Hatson. Oh, brilliant. Well, I think we'll end it there. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, that's a good. Now we've got to do this awkward thing which you spoke about before we went live, where we end the live stream and you've got to lean over and see us smiling. Us. Who's this going? It's always the worst part. <laughs> but listen, thanks for having me on, mate. It's great. And I'll see you in 1994. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it as well, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you, George. Thanks for your time, man. See you, pal. Let's do the awkward bit. <laughs> Facebook, DJ Malorca I've been up for four days. I don't want to write and wrong anymore. Oh, wow, that stuff's incredible. Excellent. Sorry, George, thanks for that. Bottom it. No, bother. She, she was just flying. She's about to pick her dad up. Um, he's coming out here for a wee holiday. 
Oh, nice. Aye. So, you're going all right, one. Aye, well, I don't speak Italian, he doesn't speak Scottish, so it's pretty good. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect relationship. Oh, wow. We'd love a wish I had a relationship like my old brother and back in the day. That'd be great.